0: Okay.
1: Nope. Nope. Okay. Agenda item two is chairperson's business. 2.1 refers to our record of an informal meeting with Parenting NI on the impact of COVID 19 on parental mental health, and that is in tabled papers. Members may wish to raise some of the issues discussed with officials briefing on the children and young people emotional health and wellbeing and education strategy and the provision of child and adolescent mental health services later in our session today. Are members content to note? Agreed? Agreed, Agreed. just to say it was a really useful briefing from Parenting NI, um, which really uh, opened us to the need to consider the, the mental health of, of parents um, throughout, throughout this uh, pandemic. and. And uh, in the future as well. 2.2 is committee input on freedom of information matters during summer recess. It's normal practice for committees to delegate authority to the chairperson and deputy chairperson during periods of recess to submit views on the releasing or withholding of information in any non-routine contentious FOI requests received, which is not frequent. In previous mandates, at the final meeting of each session, the committee agreed to this delegation of authority and that the committee would be advised of any such requests. The views expressed by the chairperson and or deputy chairperson and the response issued by the FOI unit at the first available meeting following the recess period. Members, content that we continue with this practice? Agreed? Agreed. Agreed. Thank you. is the final report of the expert panel on educational underachievement. Can I refer members to correspondence from the Department of Education apologizing for the delay in providing the committee with a copy of the final report of the expert panel on educational underachievement in tabled papers? The department has indicated that this was due to an unspecified administrative error, but I think it is welcome that the apology has been sent. The absence of a consequence for not forwarding papers and reports on time to committees, I'm not sure what other further action we could take, members, but content to note that an apology has been given. Agreed. Agreed? Agreed. Agreed. Okay, and do members wish to write to the, I think, still Education Minister thanking him for his service and invite the new Education Minister to meet with the committee at her earliest convenience. Agreed? Agreed. Agreed. Thanks, members. Agenda item three refers to draft minutes of the committee meeting on 2nd of June 2021 at page 6 of your meeting packs and revised minutes in tabled papers. Uh, The start time was incorrect and uh, needed to be amended. Can I seek members' agreement that the minutes as amended are a complete and accurate record of proceedings? Agreed? Agreed. Thank you. There are no matters arising, members. Okay, then agenda item five is our oral briefing from the Uniform Youth Work Hub on voluntary sector outdoor centres and related issues. Can I ask Assembly Broadcasting to remove members from the spotlight and add witnesses? Can I refer members to a briefing paper from Scouts NI at page 15 and a research paper, Physical Activity and the Wellbeing of Children and Young People at page 17? Can I welcome then Mr. Jonathan Gracie, Chief Executive of Scouts NI, and Claire Flowers, Chief Executive of Girl Guiding Ulster. You're very welcome, folks. Can I advise that the committee will give you 10 minutes to make an opening statement, followed by questions from the members. Over to you.
2: Thank you very much and good morning. Um, thank you for allowing myself and Jonathan to be with you this morning to address the Education Committee. Um, so I just wanted to introduce myself. I'm Claire Flowers, CEO from Garganey Ulster, um, and just give you a bit of a background as to Garganey Ulster and our headquarters at Lorne, um, where we have our training and activity centre, because I'm aware that you've already received a briefing paper from Jonathan about the Scouts and Crawfordsburn. So um, our home, our lovely home is Lorna Estate just outside Hollywood, which um, can accommodate up to 90 um, using residential accommodation throughout the site. We also have campsites um, for up to 500 users and we have many outdoor activities on site, including um, high ropes, zip wire, bungee trampoline, up-seal tower and at this point I would say to members any if any of you would like to come and see our facilities and maybe try out the up seal or the zip line you'd be very welcome. Um, I just wanted to let you know that over the last year things have been very challenging for outdoor centres um, due to of course the pandemic um, and not just our own centres but there's been other centres throughout the youth sector as well. Um, in terms of, in 2019, we were able to welcome over 10,000 children and young people to LORN, either staying, doing outdoor activities, or our own members even coming to do um, brownie holidays, guide camps. And we were able to train over 3,000 of our volunteers at LORN. Last year, then, we had almost next to nobody Coming to Lorne, we had about six weeks when we had some member groups able to avail of the campsites just for unit meetings. But other than that, we, um, we had a very difficult year. Um, and some of the challenges then on that were that we had to make a number of redundancies throughout the year for both um, permanent staff and casual outdoor instructors and other casual staff from our cleaning and catering teams. Um, however, there is hope, I would like to say. And from the 24th of May, whenever educational day visits were allowed to restart, we have managed to welcome 23 schools from the 24th of May until the end of June, with over 1,200 pupils coming back to Lorne. So this has been fantastic and that we are now starting to see a little bit of recovery. We've also got our summer scheme um, advertised with over 477 young ch- children coming um, for six weeks in July and August. Um, we've also been able to welcome some of our members back to do outdoor activities. There's been 233 girls on site taking part in activities. And we're also offering well-being and creative events um, throughout the summer as well. Um, so as a result, we have been able to, again, offer some part-time um, casual contracts to instructors over the summer months. But again, it's only for the summer, and we really um, are very uncertain as to what autumn will bring and what the future for planning is. Um, we do hope that we will be able to have some summer camps, again, welcoming girls and young women back to Lorne um, across three weekends if that um, summer camp funding is success from EA. And at this point, I would like to. Um, say thank you um, to the Education Authority and the Department of Education for the funding that they have given us um, over the last year in terms of residential centres to help with our sustainability and also from the Education Authority for restart grants and PPE. Um, So I would just like that noted at this point. Um, That's really where I wanted to give you a bit of an overview on where we were um, and I'm sure Jonathan might like to add something
3: else then on Crawfordsburn and the Scouts. Thanks Claire. I mean for us the picture's broadly the same at Crawfordsburn so not not much to add to that picture that Claire has created and what you've got in the short paper from myself. Uh, Sustainability is our key focus. We want to have the centre for generations to come for young people both in Scouts, the wider youth service church and community organisations and the others that might use us along the way. Uh, I I suppose to broaden it just beyond centres, you know, we have all of the uniformed organisations held a census. It's something we do annually to capture numbers, to aid our planning, uh, and to just plot the way forward. And so we did take a significant hit. Uh, Most of the uniformed organisations would do that either just before or just after Christmas. Uh, and we've all, on paper, declined in the region of about 30%, and we we do anticipate a really quick bounce back. The groups that are already meeting face-to-face, particularly those meeting outdoors with some activities and more adventurous activities recommencing, have noticed actually that they're growing the sections, which is really positive. But, you know, that may be short term in terms of maybe other things not yet picking up. But we're hopeful we can get back to where we were within maybe a two, maybe three year period. We do have a concern that can pass the summer, which is, you know, premises haven't opened up as quickly as regulations have been relaxed. And so that could be community facilities, school facilities, church facilities. And so there is a concern that as we want to do the best for our young people, as we move back into the, the, the maybe more inclement part of the year, the colder, autumn, winter months, that we mightn't be able to do as much if the regulations on the property owners aren't confident uh, enough to let us back in. So that that's our context. We're really upbeat. We're really positive. We're keen to get going. Our volunteers are really stepping up to the mark. And we're really appreciative of, of you as a committee wanting to hear from us and giving us this time this morning. So over to you.
1: Thanks, Claire. Thanks, Jonathan. Um probably necessary for me to declare an interest as a parent of a a, a young girl guide. Um, so I, I have some idea of the 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 impact on the brilliant work that um, that you guys do uh, on our, our young people. Um, and and you know, I haven't met with you previously aware of some of the challenges that you've faced and, and delighted to see that some of the, the powers and relaxations that you, you need to be occurring to get yourself back on track or are slowly but surely coming into place. So delighted, delighted that that's happening. Um, let me bring members in this morning then. Uh, can I go to uh, Pat Shane, our, our Deputy Chair? Thanks Pat.
4: Thank you Chair and, and thanks Jonathan and Claire. Um, I suppose we're living in, in fairly uh, turbulent times at the minute, uh, and there's the potential there for disturbances during the summer and uh, the chances of young people getting drawn in the, some sort of disturbances. I'm just wondering, is, would your, any of your organisations be involved in any diversionary activities uh, over the, the forthcoming period? And do you know if there's any funding available for your groups to run
3: such diversionary programs? Thanks. Uh, well, I I can start and Claire, you feel free to chip in as as well. And c- certainly some of our groups in what we might refer to as interface areas have applied for education authority grants. Some I think have been successful, some not. Uh, one of the flaws, I suppose, in our current system is we would only pick that up if a local group tells us there's no Means of communication back to our headquarters from uh, education authority directly to tell us who's successful or who's unsuccessful. But certainly, our groups would be active in those areas. And during the the, the recent protests, a number of weeks back, they they were active on the ground just to provide activities that were distractionary uh, in nature. Over over the summer, a good number of groups have applied for the education authority funding to provide camps and summer schemes and the likes. And again. That's mostly aimed, I would have to be honest and say, at our normal programme, because that's what we're about. And it's skills for life, it's mental health, it's activity, it's it's, it's all the good things that youth work delivered. But the secondary side of it is it's often taking young people away then from their local areas and providing that degree of distraction when there can be disturbances in the, the localities. Claire, have you anything you would like to add to that?
2: No, I disagree. Jonathan, you know, our programmes are really aimed at universal provision. So um and, and it's great then that we are able to do that because I know that other areas opened up, you know, prior to us. Um so um it's so it's good that we, we can now have young people hopefully involved in all sorts of programmes because that's exactly what they need after a year of lockdown, being able to get out and about and um having fun with their peers in safe and um, environments and that's what we're hoping to provide from now on and if we can continue to do outdoor activities which are are safe and and provide provide them in a safe manner um, is is really what what we're hoping to do over these next few months
4: yeah thanks for that and i suppose what i'm really getting at is that um i mean if, if there are disturbances <clears throat> i mean it's not generally the scouts and the girl guides uh, who are involved in it, uh, but your organisations are, are well-placed to provide activities, you know, for uh, a broader range of, of, of children and young people to sort of keep them away or divert them away from these activities. And uh, by the way, this is no criticism of yourselves. I, I, I'm I'm just wondering, you know, are none of the statutory organisations approaching yourselves? to maybe help out in that type of diversionary work?
3: No, not directly, but in the sense that we, we rely... I mean, our, our staff teams, you know, you could count your two hands. <laughs> uh, so, you know, we we have each... Uh, I think I'm speaking for Claire. you know, two and a half to 3,000 leaders each organisation, uh, but they're volunteers. So, you know, sometimes when there are funding opportunities or last-minute calls, can you do something... Because they're volunteers who have busy work, family, and maybe other commitments to think about, they're not able to respond, you know, as as quickly maybe as a fully staffed youth club, for example. So we're not on a level playing field in that sense, and sometimes our volunteers, the the bureaucracy around even, you know, finding two or three thousand pounds to run a project is quite heavy for a group of people who are only given two nights a week to their youth organisation. So we are well placed, we could deliver more, we could do more, but I suppose it would have to be that quid pro quo in terms of making it volunteer friendly in a way that it isn't always at the moment.
4: Yeah. Okay, Thank, thanks for that. Uh, do you want to come in there at all, Claire? No, I just
2: it? agree, it's the, it's the resourcing and the capacity issues that we would have um, to be able to do that. We would love to do more in the communities, but um, we just,
4: aren't able to at the moment. Okay, thanks. And just, just moving on to another issue, and the committee has heard quite a lot of evidence in, in recent times about the lack of physical activity children are getting in schools. And and that's a concern both in terms of the, uh, the physical and mental well-being of children. And I'm just wondering, you know, are organizations like your, your own, um, filling in uh for for physical activities that really should be happening in schools and and from your own experience uh are you concerned that children aren't getting enough physical activity thanks
2: well i'll come in this one um i i I totally agree and and part of our programs is that we are very um we we love to get the children outdoors and into nature Um, and some of the that have come out after lockdown have shown that girls have really missed that and that there is a real appreciation of outdoors and nature Um, and i just notice even from the the children um, participating in the schools programs where they're having a full day outside in the fresh air doing outdoor activities they are absolutely exhausted by the time they come home Um, and the same happens at the summer schemes, and the parents do say to us that their children go home and they aren't going straight to their TV or their computer games because they are exhausted and they have had a proper day out of good, adventurous outdoor activities, and that is something that we can provide and want to provide to young people because I do feel that they are missing out on that opportunity.
3: I I, I would just add that, we we released, I think it was, seven weeks of summer schemes at Crawfordsburn, and we had 200 signed up you know, within a matter of days. So there's clearly a pent-up demand amongst parents and young people to sign up for these things. And I mean, the nature of our program is very much about outdoors. So we're well-placed, given the restrictions, to get on with stuff. So we've always complemented what they're already doing in school. But I, I see it from another angle too because I'm a, a governor in a local high school and I know the restrictions that were placed on PE initially and then interschool sports and, you know, the bubbles where they could play one team and then they had to have a break before they could possibly consider mingling with another team from another school. And so there's no doubt the last 18 months has been hard on our young people and, you know, we are keen to get going. And thankfully, the relaxations are such that we now can do an awful lot more than we've been able to and we're looking forward to a summer where if the Chief Medical Officer and the Public Health Agency can relax things sufficiently to allow us to camp even on a restricted basis, we can do even more through the, the July-August period and hopefully set ourselves, the school sector and the wider community up for a, a, a good September onwards. Okay, Pat.
4: Okay, uh, thanks for that. Just one final comment, no more questions. Um, uh, thanks for all you've uh, you've done here uh, for us this morning, and uh, I wish you well as the restrictions continue to be relaxed. So best wishes for the future. Thank you.
3: Thank,
5: thank you very for- much.
4: Thanks,
1: Pat. Can I bring in Robin Newton MLA? Uh,
5: thank you, Chair. And uh, 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 can I apologise for just uh, signing signing on, right? A late night last night or early morning, uh, and indeed then also had some difficulty getting the pack uh, loaded for some reason. Uh, can I thank uh, Can I thank uh, Jonathan and Claire uh, as someone who who benefited benefited from scouting uh, a long, long time ago, uh, and indeed do I dare mention those other words, Boys Brigade as well, um, where I, I was uh, a member and. Uh, uh, encouraged by parents to to take part in the uniformed organisations, just thank you for the voluntary, the positive work, um, and in many ways the dedication and the commitment that you give, as you've already said, to the deputy chair. It's a, a voluntary organisation, but it it has it plays such a such a positive role uh, for our young people, um, and has done over the years, and hopefully will uh, continue to do. I was in the junior minister's post on one occasion, and uh, I did have all the uniformed organisations around the table, really posing the question to them, how could we be of assistance uh, to you? Uh, and we got a few suggestions back um, that I think we were, uh, the, the first the deputy first ministers It was there were, were, were helpful to the uniformed organisations. But in thanking you for all your work, could I ask you the question, what can this Education Committee do to help you for the future?
2: Well, thank you for your kind words, Robin, and I do remember being at that table that you just talked about Um, and with you and and your support for the uniformed organisations back then. Um, And I'm really glad you've asked the question, what can you do to help us? Because there's actually quite a lot of things, I think, that we could ask of you. Um, And and part of that is really raising awareness within the local communities of of what we do. Um, As Jonathan has already alluded to, we have had a decline in membership now of between 30 and 35% in the last year. We have missed out on, well, by the time it gets to this September, we'll have missed out on two years for my own organization of Rainbow's joining, which is girls aged four and five. So we need a big influx of membership to make sure that our organisations are sustainable going forward. And um, again, as Jonathan said, our staff capacity is is really small. I, I probably have the equivalent of three and a half office staff um, for trying to look after six and a half, seven thousand members. We do not have the capacity to be able to do, you know, huge recruitment campaigns, a lot of PR and awareness about the good work that we're doing all of us all the youth sector and the uniform organizations across northern ireland so anything that you can do in your communities to help us would be really helpful and the other thing that i am concerned about coming back in september is again venue availability and as you're aware a lot of us use churches and for um, our unit meetings and um, there is a real concern about being able to use those going forward. And if we don't have venues to meet in, I'm not quite sure where we go. Obviously, we will still have the blended approach. And Zoom has been a savior for all of us in the past year. Um, But there's nothing beats face-to-face contact, which is what our organizations are all about. And working together in small groups, the team building, the building confidence and self-esteem of our young people. And you really need to be in the one place to be able to do that. So and I don't know if there is any help that you can give us in in maybe allowing schools to open up in the evenings and to be able to allow us to meet. Because if we have to maintain some social distancing going forward, then we need big assembly halls, sports halls to be able to do that. Um, and some church premises maybe only have small halls or these just will not be available, which of course they have their own priorities, quite rightly so. So I suppose it's it's things like that that we will need going forward. Um, And we also really need a date for when we can start residentials again, so that we can at least start the planning. Um, At the moment, um, we are hopeful that we will get some camping in maybe July or August, but we don't have a date for that as yet. Um, In terms of indoor accommodation, which um, our centres rely on, um, if we don't have anything by the autumn, then we're really looking towards next March because December, January, February would always be quiet months for us anyway. So that will have been really two years before we've had people staying in our buildings, which is huge, um, and we still have the financial constraints um, to keep those buildings going. If any of you have been to Lorne, you know that it is a huge grade B listed building and we need to keep the heat on and we need to make sure it doesn't get damp and I don't get dry rot to return. So there's, there's all those types of things. um, And that's why I've already said about um, how useful it was to have that grant aid in the last year from the Education Authority to help us and um, to remain sustainable. So th- those would be some of my asks. I could give you a longer list, but I don't want to appear greedy at the moment. and we will pass to Jonathan.
3: Claire, I'm not sure you've left an awful lot for me to add. I mean, uh, just to reinforce some of those things around uh, awareness building, uh, understanding. S- sometimes we're met, particularly when we're interfacing with departments on other statutory bodies where they're not quite sure who we are or what we do. So we're really blessed this morning by the committee having a good understanding of youth work within a uniform context and, and affirming that work with us. residentials camping over the summer re- really need just clarity around that. So anything you can do to press for that would be great. Uh, I share Claire's concerns around financial. It matters because we've been so long now without any significant business that, you know, we are funding out of what should be our money for young people, keeping, mothballing these centres, but trying to keep them protected so that they are there as an asset for our young people when we can use them again. And I suppose my big ask is around bureaucracy. Uh, There's been a lot of talk about the new funding scheme, and again, we're incredibly fortunate and thankful that we have qualified for that with the Education Authority. But certainly in the short term, as we emerge from the restrictions associated with the pandemic, we now need to focus on rebuilding. The things that were on our work plan that were a pre-COVID focus cannot be the focus in the short term. And so we need that flexibility, you know, and it needs to be flexibility that's heard, received, understood, so that we can focus on getting back onto our feet again. And then we'll pick up all of the tasks and chores and requirements of funders at that point. And there has been a lot of understanding thus far, and all I suppose I would be playing is that we get another perhaps six months, maybe even this financial year where there's a, a bit more latitude just to focus on our 3,000 volunteers and getting them to where they need to be to work with up to 10,000 young people.
5: Uh, can I maybe just pose a question? It was um, uh, Claire mentioned the building at Lorne uh, and it being grade two listed. Do, do, do you get support from the communities uh, department on the maintenance of the building?
2: Um, Not for maintenance, but I was able to get some money through the charities fund last year to help with um, costs of that as well, which again was greatly beneficial for that because it is, as you know, Robin, a huge site um, yeah. to maintain. Uh, there, there,
5: there is a fund. Uh, it is for buildings and the maintenance of buildings that are listed coming out of the communities minister, uh, communities department, um, and, and I know that uh, I know some buildings that, that have actually been uh, eligible and, and have received support, particularly when where the building is a listed building and you have to maintain it in the, to, to a certain standard. So there, there is support there uh, for that. Factor. Okay. I would I would encourage you, perhaps, uh, if you and Jonathan could put your head together, uh, and if you would write to the committee, uh, I think that would be important so that we have an understanding of how, in the future, and let, let not this be just a one-off meeting, but indeed and how, how we might support you uh, in, in, in the future. In fact, all, all the Uniformed Organisations, and the very valuable work that you do for our young people. Thank uh, you. Okay, chair. Sure. Thank you, thank you, Claire, thank you, Jonathan. Thank
1: thanks you, thanks, Robin. Thank you. you. Going to bring in Daniel Mcrossin MLA. Thanks.
6: Yes, chair. You can hear me, okay? Yes.
1: We can. Yes. Thanks.
6: Okay. Thanks very much to Claire and Jonathan for being with us today and for their presentations and for the ongoing. Uh, hard work that they're doing and what is obviously very challenging times for young people uh, and for uh org- voluntary organizations such as your your own uh, I'll jump to, I have a few questions so I'll, I'll jump straight to them uh, it's, it's clear that the, the work you do is vital to the well-being of our young people, uh, and you're both to be highly commended for the major contributions that you're making and your organization is making year in and year out. That said, the pandemic has obviously posed significant challenges to the capacity of your respective organizations to operate effectively and efficiently. So in order to help us all learn how uh, to better face a crisis such as this pandemic and with the benefit of hindsight, how could your organisation have been more ably supported by statutory agencies over this difficult period?
3: I'll start this one. I want to praise right at the outset the response of the Minister, the Department on the Education Authority, because quite quickly, within probably two to three weeks, they moved to a position whereby Inescapable costs, which included staff costs, were prioritised from within the grants that we already had. So that immediately took pressure off in terms of immediately needing to furlough people uh, and so on. Uh, And we had a little bit of breathing space. Uh, That then led to uh, a little bit of a recheck around work plans. And we realised quite quickly it was all about support. It was all about moving youth work online and that was supported. I suppose the counterbalance to that was that the sector was going through a change. There was a new funding scheme coming in and had been delayed many times. Uh, And the people responsible for that probably had little option but to proceed with the timeline that they were set. Uh, And that has now come in and I suppose it's probably just come in at the wrong time. The middle of a pandemic for a major change like that was never going to be a perfect fit. It's far from a perfect fit, and a lot of organisations have been either benefiting slightly, but then have more work to do for that, or indeed some organisations have dropped out of the funding pot entirely. And so, I suppose in hindsight, it would have been great if we could have deflected that down the road. That's probably been the single biggest issue that has distracted everybody. Uh, I don't know if you want to add to that, Claire, but those have been the challenges from my perspective.
2: I think there were times when the service was, um, it fell through the gaps a bit, to be honest, in the last year. Um, you know There was priorities elsewhere and we were maybe forgotten that we could actually do stuff with young people um, and especially outdoors. Um, and there was times whenever we felt that we our hands were tied whenever we could have been doing more with young people, um, especially I think around sort of September and October last year. It came about that we could meet indoor, but not outdoor, and we couldn't do outdoor activities. and And some of the messaging was rather confusing. Um, mm-hmm. And it would have been nice if we could have had maybe a bit more conversations with. Maybe we just weren't in the right room with the right people at that time. But I do feel that we could have done more. Um, to to try and to try and support our young people. Um, at that time. Um. So that that's where I think some lessons could be learned.
3: Yeah, yeah I would. I would echo that Daniel, just, uh, I should have mentioned it myself too, that some of the messaging at times was that youth was very much part of education and then probably over the last number of months that's kind of separated a wee bit where there was a big emphasis in getting the schools and the formal sector back and it was where does uniform youth work and wider youth work sit within that and it hasn't always been clear but I have again to praise the minister and the department on the education authority because they started to mention youth service increasingly more and that helped our leaders and our partners in the likes of the community and in the church community as well.
1: Jonathan if I could step in for a second should we be praising the education minister for eventually
3: belatedly referring the youth services? Well, perhaps not, but you know, I I suppose I'm a realist, and you know, the schools, or the, the education budget is dominated by schools, so the messaging is going to be dominated by the largest part. But uh, it's his last day. I'm going to give him a good report. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, okay. At, at the same time, yes, it could have been done. We're, we're talking at the moment about learning lessons, so yes, we probably could have had
7: done
3: okay. better all right
6: okay Daniel yeah I was getting the sense that this is more about not wanting to kick the minister as he walks out the door as opposed to uh, actually praising him for any meaningful intervention in terms of youth because you'd be out on your own actually uh, if that's, um praise was to be accurate and reflective because there's very few that have praised his intervention in relation to youth in fact he's been very late in the day uh, in dealing with uh, quite a lot of the challenges but I can uh, I can uh, understand uh, uh, your politeness in that regard. Uh, just with, with some of the points you've said, had you received a higher level of support, um, are there schemes you uh, could have operated to the benefit of the young people you serve that you would like to have undertaken and what uh, would they have been and what needs would they have met and further to that, given proper support and resourcing, are there programs you would like to undertake now that could help young people catch up on lost experiences?
2: I think it was very difficult, Daniel, last year, because there was the blended approach um, and a lot of our volunteers um, didn't didn't maybe have the confidence to be able to do face-to-face when they were allowed, maybe through their own personal circumstances, whether they were frontline workers. So I do think we have a lot of catching up to do. Um, Some of the reports that have been written about girls and how they're feeling with their mental health. Um, There's some real sad um, statistics that I have never seen before about girls feeling lonely, bored, anxious, fed up with concerns for their future. And we really do need to think about that going forward. Not only did they have all the pressures that they had, Uh, pre-pandemic, they now have a lot more to deal with in terms of anxiety, have they fallen behind at school, what their future careers are going to be. Um, And I feel that organisations such as ourselves can give them that boost, that self-confidence, and maybe give them um, programmes to help with their mental health that can't maybe happen so easily in formal education settings, and we can also then do more life skills Um, help with self-esteem, boost confidence uh, and, and give them some fun because that's what really has been missing in the past year. So we would love to be doing programs like that. But again, it's very hard to plan when the restrictions are still so tight on what we can do as organizations. But we have to live in hope and we have to be able to prepare for the future and prepare our young people for what they will face. And this will have undoubtedly given them resilience. Um, but yeah. we, need, we need to be able to to let them grow now because they have missed out on so much.
6: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Thank that. Leadership training was also disrupted during the pandemic. That's quite obvious. Uh, how, uh, have you the resources uh, to enable this training to be caught up on? Uh, and is there any way the statute
3: agencies could support you more ably uh, in that regard? I'll jump in on this one. I mean, yes, it's been hampered, but we have moved stuff online. So we're trying to do what we can. We we have quite a lot of what we deem to be mandatory training around safeguarding safety, so risk and risk assessment, stuff like that, but also first response, which is our basic level first aid, which we expect every leader to have and renew on a regular basis. And so we have hit some snags because you couldn't do... CPR training on a mannequin you know whenever there was a pandemic around and so we we treat safety as absolutely paramount and we're working through I think an 800 liter backlog that we project will take a year to clear so if there were things like that and partnerships that could be developed that would be great and we're as organizations already making those strides to reach out to health service and other parts uh, that 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 might be able to eat us. So there there is a backlog. There is a capacity issue. You know, capacity is always going to be a limiting factor for us. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. There there are conversations that can be had. Yeah,
6: thank you. Um, just a final point, Chair. If you allow me, the National Scout Centre at uh, Crawford's obviously has extensive facilities to enable it to provide for the range of courses uh, you outline in your submission climbing, absewing has been mentioned, and I welcome the invitation. I have to say it'd be a great sight to see some of us doing that. I, Haring, ski, yeah, uh,
1: and word, Daniel.
6: I might try the archery. <laughs> <laughs> Canoeing, <laughs> uh, laughing, um, There's a whole range. Uh, you also have uh, residential accommodation, so uh, it sounds quite good. Certainly, I would have loved that uh, when, when I was at school. Uh, Even yet, uh, I would would enjoy that. Are any of these facilities in need of maintenance or repairs? I know you've mentioned it's an extremely old building. It's grade B listed that the heat and all the rest. So I can understand that there's an element of that. Um, Also, if so... I have you the resource to enable this to happen? So, what are the challenges or the barriers that exist to ensure that these facilities can be maintained? And finally, I note you pointed to significant financial challenges and hope that business will quickly return to pre pandemic levels. We are seeing elements of that certainly of this month. I think we'll see uh, a huge jump forward. Uh, is there any form of government grantee that you can access, such as the hospitality industry, to compensate in any measure for loss or reduced revenue schemes?
3: Yeah, I'll lead off in Crawfordsburn and let Claire address Lorne. Uh, certainly in terms of maintenance, we have been doing what we can, but the, the, the mandate really from funders has been focused on inescapable costs and staffing-related costs. So we haven't had the money to do all that we wanted to do and any support would be gratefully received. In terms of fabric of buildings, we are doing what we need to do to preserve those. And keep them to the standard they're, they're required. But again, with limited funding available, uh, you 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 had another part of the question. Sorry, uh, can you just
6: uh, you, in in terms of the uh, situation around maintenance or repairs, is there any yeah. schemes that you're aware of that could help fund uh, some yeah. of this work? Have you? Seen?
3: Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned the scheme and stuff like that and we, we both both organizations and the wider youth sector in general it has to be said ha- have been uh, ver- very active i mean i've listed some in my submission around the business support scheme which was aimed at sort of tourism hospitality leisure things like that we made full use of furlough where, where it was possible to do that with the restart grant from the education authority so we have topped into a full range because it took a cocktail of funding to get us through the past year. We still made a loss in our centre, but it was mitigated hugely by, by tapping into all those. And, and the one thing why we focused this morning on Lorne and burn, even within the wider... Uniform family. There's places like Ganaway, Cladded Lane, down in Fermanagh, Gosford, which is a guide house in the Gosford uh, Forest Park, just to give you examples. And there's wider voluntary youth service facilities like Greenhill, for example, uh, and, and Sheriff Centre, places like that that are used that haven't had a mention this morning. And it just it would be wrong as voluntary sector reps not to to share that sort of uh, out a little bit with you this morning.
6: Okay. Thank you, Chair. That's thanks,
1: that's Daniel. Me. Thanks, Daniel. Can I bring in Robbie Butler, MLA, please? Thanks.
8: Thank you, Chair. So, for call to declare an interest as an officer in the Boys' Brigade, um, and I got my 15-year badge, 15-year badge, I think last year, but I didn't get it presented to me officially. I think it got it during COVID, which was uh, a real shame, Jonathan. But here, just as we're talking, there, one of my favourite films is. Um, the Greatest Showman, okay? And there's a great song and it's called uh, The Other Side, okay? And it's when, it's when Jack, uh, Hugh Jackman is, is singing to uh, Zach Ackerman, like bringing him over to the other side. You're welcome back, Jonathan, and you're also welcome to come to uh, the Guards Brigade, Claire, um, because obviously uh, there, there's that friendly rivalry between us. But you know, it's, it's wonderful work that you guys and your staff and your volunteers do. Uh, I, I know that firsthand because it comes with some cost to the volunteers, particularly. Um, and with that in mind, I ju- uh, Daniel touched on the training aspect of it, but I not, My first question to both of you guys it isn't around COVID, but it is from my own experience within the boys' group. At times, it's very challenging to keep the numbers up, um, especially perhaps in, the, in the, just in, the, in modern society. Uniformed organisations perhaps sometimes aren't seen for the value that they actually bring. So, could you give me any uh, feel for how that has been? Not just through COVID, because that's that's difficult. Um, uh, pre-COVID and then how you see that developing in the future because I am absolutely fundamentally fixed on the fact that we need to engage young people we need to get them mixing together um, you know building them together but also getting them out and and, and using the facilities that we've heard about today guys.
2: Well in terms of the last year Robbie we've seen a decline in membership of 35% previous to that um. We we've been trying to I don't like to use the word standstill but we've been trying to retain the membership that we have and build on capacity maybe in units that had low numbers and um, because we're finding it extremely difficult to get volunteers and um, just with modern society um, it's very difficult for people to give the time and commitment that they need to youth organisations. Um so and, and this is what I was sort of giving a little plea to you all to say that within your communities we, we really need your help to raise awareness of the good work that we're doing because we are modern, we are relevant and we are changing with the needs of well, certainly we are with the needs of girls, knowing you know what what their what their needs are in terms of um their future and their life skills. Um and it is a fantastic organization and we give such good opportunities um in terms of going forward um we need now to um advertise for some development officers to help us get out into the communities to to get more um girls and volunteers to join us um, i'm hoping that we will have good a good bounce back um in the autumn and we will at least increase by 20 percent i'm not sure whether that's as they call cautiously optimistic but that as that is my hope because we have really missed out on two years as i said of rainbows joining which is four and five year olds and um, and i am hoping that there will still be some um we're worried about the uh, the changes between sections. That brownies now will go to guides if they've missed out in a year. They maybe do, haven't met with the guides, and there would normally be some, um, uh, crossover in programs at the end of the year. Um, so so there are concerns, but but I really do hope that after lockdown that people do want, or parents want their children involved in uniformed organisations, they want them out of the house and doing things um, and back having fun and having um, opportunities, being challenged on the outdoor activities and learning new skills. So so that is our hope, but we kind of need everybody to help us to do that. Well,
8: Jonathan, uh, could, yeah, you, we, could you, you give, give us the high level bit, because I've got about three questions I need to get in and the child will be done shortly.
1: Uh,
3: Tell time the
1: time's up, so if you could just give am not bit I'll
3: just cut you off, so keep going. <laughs> uh, yeah, v- v- very, very quickly, agree with all Claire has said. I-, I would just acknowledge that demands on leaders seem to be increasing all the time, both because of what it means to be a leader and some of the, the health and safety and mm-hmm. disclosure tracking and all that burden, but equally, just in their lives, people seem to be busier, they're commuting further for jobs. And that's, I suppose, limiting maybe their volunteering capacity around the edges. Young people are the same. Uh, you know, school demands seem to only increase on them, and so sometimes they're struggling to get along uh, to the youth organisations as well. But look, to be really positive, some of the groups that have got going again that are outdoors are actually reflecting back that their sections are growing. So let, let's celebrate that, harness it, and hopefully the buzz that that has generated amongst those leaders can be infectious for the leaders that haven't yet started again that, that's the good news we want to get out within the organization Brilliant.
8: thank you guys um i really appreciate that and I, I see that I'm a, you know where i am jonathan it's a wee country kind of uh, outfit and we we see that ebb and flow of numbers it's like it's, you know sometimes you have a section you have maybe 60 70 and then all of a sudden you drop down to 30 40 and it's hard to it's hard to get right, right. but um, i just want to pay genuinely. Uh, if anybody's watching it, they pay tribute to the volunteers and that will do this week in, week out because and some of them are absolute stars and I would encourage especially maybe younger people who have that drive and, and energy too to, and the fresh ideas, if you like, to, to come along to some of the organizations. Um, one of the things that I'm just I, I'm not a, you don't have to answer this one, okay, because I'm throwing it in just as a, as, a, as a figure and an idea. Another person of mine, I know Justin McNulty often speaks about this, is looked after children. So annually there are 2,500 um, young people in the care system, and I think it's something like 16 children per week on average, and so they, they, they you know, are, are looked after ch- children at the system. Um, I'm gonna say, is there any strategies that you guys have for making sure that the, some of our, well, perhaps children of greatest need at a time Don't slip through the gaps and, I mean, is there something in there that could be done with those agencies Um, to to either one, make sure that they're getting the opportunity to either go or not go, Um, and then obviously with those, um, some of those, you know, kids have got complex backgrounds and stuff and how do you cope with and facilitate and champion those children? You don't have the answer if there's there's nothing specific, but it's, it's maybe just an idea.
3: I can just drop in an anecdote, which is I'm aware of groups that have had relationships you know, with maybe a local centre or what have you, but it's been very much the leaders have known the staff and that has created an opportunity. But we'd certainly be open to, as organisations, we're open to everyone. So, you know, there wouldn't be a problem if they started to read since he's even wanted to link up with us as well.
8: Can I just give that just an idea maybe to reach into the, just the, the trust and stuff and speak to them, you know, because there are... Um, definitely that um, those, those, those kids, you see even through educational entertainment and stuff in terms of missing out on so much opportunity and every one of them has the potential to be a star and, and you guys have a part to play in that? You know, really
2: yeah. I think too, now that we've used Zoom for a year, we've realised that there's also opportunities with that um, and we have reached out to some organisations um, for you know, very sick children, um, and we are thinking that they would never be able to come to and go to face to face meetings. And we, if we can um, develop partnerships with them, we've also done guiding in the Royal um, Hospital in Belfast for sick children, um, and we would go in and visit them, um, you know, at, at holiday times and take resources and crafts to them um, as well. So, so certainly, if, if there's any contacts that you would like us to explore, we would be happy to do that.
8: Brilliant. Thank you. I'm going to ask two questions here, guys, and if you can, you know, either one of them, take them if you like. Um, they're not usually exclusive,
1: so okay? Well, actually, one of them is for you,
8: Claire, so you can maybe
1: think this. Last question, last question, Robbie, if you can maybe
8: consent Hey, Claire, yours is about young girls and sports participation. So we know yep. certain, the education section of just ed- of education, okay? The sports part of it that young girls don't participate in sports in the same way as, as, as young guys do. So if you could maybe tell us a little bit about how you're looking at that. And then Jonathan, in the wider context of mental health, and young people are telling us that it is their number one issue. This was post-COVID, uh, and now uh, as we come out of COVID, hopefully, uh, sorry, pre-COVID, post-COVID, is, what's the uh, recognition of those issues within the uniformed uh, organizations, and what are we doing to, to, uh, to address that? Thank you, Chair.
2: Um, In terms of girls in sport, we have a girls' attitude survey that was done in 2020, which um, gives some fantastic statistics on um – girls and schools and that even the types of sports that they are allowed to do or not allowed to do with choices between girls and boys. I will send you this report, Robbie, um, which is probably the best thing. But that's the good thing about organizations like ourselves, which are single sex, and then there is safe space for girls so that they can go and do outdoor activities in a safe environment and they don't feel uncomfortable around boys as well and they will be challenged and they will do things. But if, if I could get your email or if I can somehow get Get this to you, and um, do some good
1: stats in that. Claire, uh, if you send that into the committee, we'll make sure that gets redistributed
3: to everyone. It'll be, it'll be good for us to um, review that in detail. Thanks. No uh, just, just on the mental health question, then very quickly, Robbie uh, yes, as part of the restart grant, it was one of the things that most of the uniformed organizations had an element of focus on mental health during lockdown. And so there was various programs some with even a faith perspective as, as well as a more clinical view on it and uh, we used people like mr hullabaloo who was reaching out even to the youngest age groups by making videos and we were making those available uh, The the summer program for funding that ea has launched has i think there's about four strands and one is mental health and well-being so the crucial thing and maybe what you can do to help us is we're in inundated with calls think the decisions for that funding was la- to be out last week, it's still not out. So we, we need that because that's a big focus around activity and mental health this summer. Thanks, thanks Robbie. I don't
1: have my 15 year badge, Robbie, but I had 10 years full attendance. So I must uh, compare notes with you whether that trumps you for consecutive full attendance or not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, thanks for that Robbie. thanks for the, the answers. Can i bring in william
9: humphrey MLA? Uh, thanks um morning claire morning john um okay. chair can i just declare an interest as a I'm president of northwest belfast scout council and member north iron scout council um i think the key thing for for um guides and, and scouts in particular um is the the whole idea that um we have to have the residential uh, centers opened as soon as possible because the problem there is that I was down at Crawford's all day Saturday and there were lots of people there. But leaders were having to come and uh, in the morning and then take the, the young people away uh, in the evening. Obviously, they weren't able to stay. Now, that has a hugely negative effect in terms of uh, our young people and their uh, their ability to enjoy the residential experience. Um, and I do, do have to say, Jonathan made mention of the census and disappointing to hear figures down by 30, 35% or whatever for both organizations. In my own district, I'm delighted to say our numbers are potentially up by 50%. Wow. And, and I want, want to pay tribute to our district commissioner, Scott Hamilton, for and his team for the work that they've been doing in terms of getting out there and having outdoor activities. They were one of the first districts to be out there um, to, and getting young people re-engaged. And I think that's... Um, We've actually, on our district Facebook page, been having people contacting us, looking, parents contacting, contacting to get young people engaged in, in, in uh, scouting. So that's that's something which is really, really important to us. Um, and I think the other thing is, Scott, along with Jacqueline Weir, who's a local guide commissioner, we've been able to secure some funding from urban villagers. So last night, for example, we had explorers, guides, young leaders out um, with Belfast Activity Centre. That sort of joined-up partnership is crucial to the whole thing, I think. Um, and diversionary activity was mentioned earlier. Um, scout leaders and guide leaders aren't, aren't trained and are specifically trained, uh, you know, in terms of the, the, the leaders working with the young people that, that they have on their care, but nevertheless, the more young people we can get involved in those organizations, the more chance we have of having them involved in positive activity over the summer months general well-being is hugely hugely important uh, and i think it, it's the other pandemic so you know uh, in terms of guiding and, and scouting i suppose what i want to ask claire and jonathan is when we have been putting, we've spoken to the minister we've spoken to siobhan O'Neill about a joined up approach across government and local government um but also including youth organizations uniform organizations and sports clubs i mean would, would, would guiding and scouting be, be up for being part of that
2: Absolutely. Absolutely, and anything we can do to to help in the co design of that to make sure that it you know it fits in with with our ethos and, and what we're doing, and and obviously volunteers and resourcing. But yes, we would we would love to be working on something like that.
3: I I totally agree. Uh, being in early, knowing what it's about, signing up to the right parts of it is crucial. Uh, and sometimes William uh, and you may have experienced this with your other roles within Scouting and, and the community that sometimes there's a danger that the uniformed organizations mm-hmm. to pull the program simply because we have big numbers of leaders and young people. And they tend to be the partnerships that really don't then work for us. But the ones that come to us and say, will you design this from the beginning with, you know, in full partnership, they're the ones that really work and last.
9: I think the other thing is, as well, Chairman, I think one of the things we should do as a committee um, out of this meeting is, and Robin and Morris know I raised this with the minister last week, uh, and I spoke to the incoming minister yesterday about it, we really do need to get clarity around the use of uh, our outdoor centres. Um, there was some movement in terms of diversionary um, activity last year in terms of residentials and so on, but we need to get the certainty and the clarity that Lorne and Crawford's were need Uh, These are obviously huge issues for for all uniformed organizations, but particularly for scouting and guiding because it's so intrinsic in terms of the program. Uh, And so the the bit of the debacle that there was last September, October, whatever, and I I pay tribute for the minister because I contacted him, he got involved quickly, and Arlene Key and so on in terms of getting resolution. But the problem is that the regulations that go out to the EA Youth uh, Service are not necessarily completely compatible for the uniformed organisations and, and therefore the uniformed organisations need to be treated almost as a separate identity around those issues because <clears throat> they are so uh, out, outdoor-focused. Um, and so uh, I think that's one of the things, Chairman, I would propose that we we would um, perhaps write to the Health Minister and the Chief Medical Officer around the issue of camping to uh, and residential um uh, stays for September, October, or sorry, August, September, whatever, so that we can get some camping before um, we lose the summer and the and the better weather before the traditional scouting and getting count starts again in September. That would be a real boost to those organizations. So I would propose that we send a letter to Robin Swan and Michael McBride around that and, and just finally um, pay tribute to all those involved in uniformed organizations. I've been at Lorne many times. I did some of my commissioner training there. Claire and I pay tribute in particular to the guides, and uh, obviously my involvement with scaling is is um, documented. So, um, thanks for all you do for our young people. It is hugely, hugely important and uh, much appreciated. Thanks, chair. Thank you. Can I bring in Nicola
1: Brogan, MLA, please?
10: Thanks, Chair, and again thanks, uh, Claire and Jonathan, for your time today this morning, um, and thanks for all the work you have been doing. I think now more than ever we all recognise the importance of um, outdoor activity for the mental health and wellbeing of all our children and young people. So we really do appreciate all the hard work you've been doing. Um, I just want to touch upon this has been talked discussed already this morning, but about female participation um, throughout like the sports curriculum and. Um, like any kind of physical activity um so research does suggest that young women um are less likely to engage in sport but in particular um girls from disadvantaged areas um the research would suggest that they are particularly less likely to participate in like after-school activities and sporting um, engagements so can i just ask um claire maybe yourself um in your role what do you think we can do to combat that? How we can kind of, um, what kind of outreach we can do, or how we can engage to get more
2: girls participating? Um, well, again, I will refer to the girls' attitude survey that that um, had looked at even the age groups of girls, um, and the seven to ten-year-old girls love taking part in PE at school. Eighty-eight um, percent say they do. Then it goes to 59% for 11 to 16 year olds, and down to 56, or sorry, 46% as they older they get. Now that might be not just because of the sport, but it could be time pressures, other commitments in terms of schooling. But I know that some of the girls don't want to take part because of their appearance, because of um, maybe if it's a mixed school they don't want to take part with the boys. So that, so there's a lot of other things that maybe we need to be looking at as well. Um, girls also say in this that they don't get the same opportunity to participate in the same sports as boys as well and maybe that needs to be looked at too um, and just just really talking to girls to see well what do they actually want to do um, so, so I, I think this is a really good report and something I think you'd be interested in Nicola but I'm not quite sure what we can do but I think there are Things in terms of appearance, their self-confidence, their self-esteem, making sure that we're doing the team building side and then seeing, you know, what we need to do to make it that they would want to participate more. And maybe it is more outdoor stuff. Maybe it is the more adventurous things that the likes of us can offer in terms of maybe they don't want to be doing hockey, but they'd love to be doing archery or they'd be love to be going down the zip line or the abseil tower. And those things aren't necessarily available to them all of the time. So it's maybe making sure that they can have access to those yeah i think that's a really good point claire actually that maybe
10: that more adventure side is just another um kind of avenue for them i assume then from those stats that uh, that for boys the um level engagement increases as they get older or what's the difference there is it just with
2: girls that it um, reduces so significantly as they get older um. Uh, now you're asking. It it really concentrates on the girls. So I'm not sure about the boys' figures. Um. But um. You know, girls are saying, in this there's quotes from them saying that um, it makes it harder for girls uh, to be themselves whenever they're doing PE that they the girls and boys feel different about you know how they interact in sports because boys I, and I'm not trying to be stereotypical myself, but are maybe more competitive. Um, in the way that they approach sport as well, um, and it also then you know there it also gives um comparisons into the fact that there's even the girls thinking about the jobs that they do and, and boys as well, and even the types of sports that they're doing. So um, so the interesting stats that I think you'll enjoy.
10: Yeah, I know. I appreciate that. And I would I would love to get reading that, Claire. And I think we can understand the girls of that age as like, there's so many changes in your life at that age that um they would be more self-conscious and more aware of it and really thinking about the difference in themselves and boys. And I think you made this point earlier about being embarrassed about doing sports in front of boys and that there. So definitely something we need to look at because um it's, as I said at the beginning here from the outset, this is such an important topic and such an important thing for all children and young people to be involved in. So thanks for that. Mia. I just want to move on to another point. A lot of what I want to discuss has been discussed, um, but one other point I wanted to make was about the, there was in the Assembly um, a number of months ago now, we had a motion on um, developing a strategy of violence against women and girls, um, and it was supported by all parties. Um, so hopefully we'll get some movement in that. But do you see your organisations as having a role um, with the Violence Against Women and Girls Strategy? Um, basically in promoting like, respect um, for women, young girls and women?
2: Yeah, um, very much so. Um, we're very aware of how girls feel and their safety. And especially after the Sarah Everard case um, in London, so uh Carla Lockhart actually contacted me a number of months ago to find out um maybe if we, they could if she could speak to some of our girls and she was going to speak to Naomi long now uh, apologies for dropping those names out there, but um I, I i had offered that we could maybe have some focus groups with some of our girls, you know if it was even guide age ten to fourteen or our older ranger age at fourteen to eighteen to to really ask the girls um you know how they are feeling and what support that we can bring so that that offer is out there Nicola. if that's something that you would be interested in because girls love to know that they're being heard and that's one of the other things that comes out of this report is that they don't feel that they're being supported by government and that nobody is listening to them and in terms of an organization like ourselves we're very much about promoting girls voice and making sure that they participate in decision making and that they can influence so um so more than happy if if you would like to speak to some of our members um, about that, and see what we can do to help them in terms of safety. Yep, absolutely, Claire.
10: I'd be more than happy to do that there. Um, again, I think it's all it's uh, um, within all of our roles to be um, those kind of leaders and to engage with children and young people. Really, think that, that's exactly what our role is, members of the Education Committee, is to listen to children and young people and have their voices heard and to be a voice for them. So, absolutely, I'd be um, willing to be involved in that. So, thanks, Claire, and thanks, Chair.
1: Thanks, Nicola. Yeah, the, the committee's got a good record on, on youth engagement in the last year or so, so we'd definitely be, be eager to, to follow that up. I think i previously met with a, a girl guiding session as well on, on, on a Zoom uh, event, so it, it was superb. Um, so we'll definitely look into that for you, Claire. Do all we can to support that. And probably important for me to say that in terms of preventing violence against women, that, that's something that we should be engaging in um boys on as well and they uh scouting has a has a, a key role to play in that as well obviously but i'll keep us moving here um and can i bring in justin McNulty, mla please thanks
11: thanks chair thanks jonathan thanks claire um 2021 the world's highest paid athletes how many in the top 100 were female Jonathan, quick, quick quiz, quick quiz. Jonathan and uh, Claire, how many in the top 100 world's highest paid athletes were female? Ten. Ten, Ten. 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 Two. yeah. Two. So there they're in lies the problem, you know. So the, the role models in sports, are, not enough of them are female. That's one of the problems. Uh, but on that, uh, I have to commend the work of the Ladies' Guild Football Association, Association the Kabogi Association, and the numbers of, they're growing exponentially year on year, the numbers of people involved, and it's really uh, heartwarming to see. The advertising that Little have done recently is really exceptional in terms of how it sells the sport, sells the competitiveness, um, and it's not airbrushed, It's not an airbrushed approach to sport, which too many uh, sporting bodies appear to do. Um, tell me, Jonathan and Claire, what's... What data do you have on the well-being? I just want to challenge something in relation to the outdoor piece, right, where people have been apparently uh, not getting as much exercise and activity during lockdown, um, or not being outdoors as much. I found that outdoors, many many more people are outdoors in nature than they were previous to the you know pandemic. They've saw, they saw the 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 benefits of nature and they were out involved and active in nature. So how does that tally with the the piece where you're saying that young people are not getting that? access to outdoors?
3: Well, a a common line within Scouting is that the the title includes out, you know, the out and scout. Uh, And so a big focus of our program is about being outdoors, experiencing nature, being challenged by your surroundings, you know, to to work as a team, to show leadership, to overcome difficulties. Uh, And so we, we participate both in programs we deliver with our young people but we also look to things like the Duke of Edinburgh award as well to really challenge them where they're you know at goal level going out for a four or five day stretch and covering a fair bit of ground and that those experiences are within uh, the province but also beyond Northern Ireland so they're going into Wicklow Hills even parts of England or, or wider into Europe to, to do those activities so th- there's no doubt that we put a massive emphasis on it in terms of data There's a challenge around that because we're only starting to get back to -to face-to-face now and seeing where people are at. So some of that for us is building confidence back in leaders that they can return safely, that they can travel because there's been so much restriction around groups using minibuses. So how do you take young people away? When we can use uh, public transport and other things, you're, you're limited by the capacity. Then if you hire a coach, how many young people can you put on it? Uh, what does it look like in terms of mitigation? So there are challenges around it, but we are keen. We are outdoors. And we've had to go outdoors in many ways too because indoor facilities haven't been available. But this is the time of year we want to be out. We're ready to camp. We have all of our camping gear aired, ready. We just need the CMO and the Public health agency to say go and we are ready and we'll do it in whatever format almost. We're, we will follow whatever format we're given because we just want to get back to it. So rest mm-hmm. assured, they'll be in the water. They'll be in the hills. They'll be outdoors.
11: Well, listen, there's a lot we said for camping. We spent. I spent all my summer holidays as a family. We went camping in Westport House on on the beach in Spittle and in, in Galway. Uh, very very happy memories and the, the development that we got as a family from that was was enormous. Um, do you, so you have no data, Jonathan, in terms of what the or Clara, in terms of what the physical. Emotional and mental well-being of of children was pre pandemic and post pandemic. Is it too early for that, uh, or do you have any data to show to demonstrate that that, that, there, that has been adversely impacted as a consequence of, of the pandemic?
2: I, I can send this to you, which is a report we've done about back in lockdown. This was made during the second lockdown of um of how girls were feeling. Um and and you're right. I think there's a there's definitely been a greater appreciation in the outdoors and nature during lockdown because. Although organizations like ourselves weren't able to make face-to-face, certainly privately, households were going out and there was a lot more outdoor exercise. But it wasn't maybe the physical activity that you know you're maybe talking about um, because it's only recently that we've been allowed to do face-to-face educational visits for us um, as, as they're called under AI or outdoor visits it only started with us on the 24th of May we hadn't been able to do anything and um, prior to that since um, October time so we had six seven months where you know our organization had our hands tied and it was all virtual and um, so in terms of that um, and uh, we only then had twenty percent of our units actually active on Zoom. So, um, so uh, you know, I can give you data like that, but um, but I do appreciate what you're saying that during lockdown there seemed to be a lot more people out exercising, but that was in a private nature, not necessarily through organisations okay. like ourselves.
11: Yeah, agreed, agreed. Well, listen, uh, Jonathan and Claire, I, I, I have to applaud the work you're doing. You're obviously two very passionate advocates of your organisations, and that's really positive. Um, I want to challenge you though. In terms of that looked after children piece that Robbie already mentioned, and I, I didn't really like the response where uh, Jonathan said you're open to everybody. You know that's that to me doesn't cut it. You know is there not a firm outreach policy by your organisations to say we're going to identify these groups of children who need us the most, and we're going to find them and bring them in, and not wait for them to come to us? we are our organisations? are going to be bigger than, than what we have been before, and we're going to seek to really, really help those children and those young people most in need.
3: I, I perhaps didn't articulate it well enough for you then, Justin. I mean, when I say we're open to all, that, that's our genuine position. We are open to all. In terms of uh, a local group of volunteers reaching out to a centre, it, it's very much their capacity will be driven by the number of leaders they have, the size of the halls available to them on their capacity to deliver but having taken the point on board early we we as an organization and we as a uniformed hub of six organizations will definitely look at this i can give you that assurance this morning i think
2: justin too in terms of us doing that you know you know that we have huge volunteers and looking after you know our units and it's then making sure that they have the right skills um, and that we are training them to be able to um to, to deliver to um to those looked after children and I'm and maybe that is where we need the capacity building and we need to upskill some of our volunteers to be able to do that um yeah. because at the moment they may not have the skills for some of those things that we're asking them to do.
11: Agreed, agreed. Uh, well, can it be a policy adopted by you guys to lead that uh, training so that you have that facility to? identify and bring in those children who need, need that help, need that support, need that involvement, need that inclusion, and it would be, be really powerful for your organisation you to undertake to do that. We would uh,
3: love that. I'm very, very happy in action from this is even to engage with the Education Authority in the first instance to see how they can support us with that because it's capacity, it's funding, there are things that would need to be put in place, but yes, absolutely. It's we definitely. It's-
2: we would need the resourcing to be able to help us to do that because, as I said before, we're a very small staff team and we're already being pushed to capacity at the moment. So if that is um, a, a pathway that you would like us to go down, then we would need the support and resourcing to be able to do that.
11: Well, I think we as an education committee can suggest that to yeah, and others can propose that that support is given. Yeah. So thank you very much for your evidence today, guys.
2: Thank you. No
1: problem. Thank you. Thanks, Justin. Um, can I bring in Mars Bradley? MLS, please. Mars, I think you might need to unmute your device, but we can see you well there. Oh, there we go. That's All it. right. Thanks,
12: Mars. Chairman, it's it's refreshing, I think, to to hear a positive response despite uh, almost a full year of inactivity. Uh I would be an advocate for summer schemes as diversionary activities or, or general learning activities for our young people. And I think this highlights uh, a problem we had earlier in the mandate when they closed the Bushmills Education Centre here in the North Coast. But as a former member of the Boys Brigade, uh, the discipline and friendships formed throughout the various company sections, in my experience, helped steer young people away from uh, being in places where they may be manipulated by people to perhaps get involved in antisocial social behaviour. So they play a vital part there, too. But our youth uniform sections across Northern Ireland, they play a very important role in shaping young lives, uh, building self-esteem, leadership and confidence. But just to pick up a point raised by Claire on school buildings, I've always been an advocate that school buildings should be made available to the wider community after school hours. And that includes the uniformed organisations and sports clubs. Perhaps that is something Chairman, we as a committee can try and influence. Uh, to pick up a point that Claire raised, and I think it was Claire who mentioned her asso- the, the association of the Uniformed uh, Association's Three Churches. Uh, is there any way of encouraging support and membership for uniformed organisations through schools and community outreach events to try and uh, maybe encourage those in the, in the margins to get involved?
3: Yeah. yeah, I mean, just to come in on that one, we, we would have some scout groups in... School settings that are almost run like after-schools clubs, that type of thing. They they are more challenging to run because they can be very much driven by a teacher or two at that point in time, and then if the teacher retires or moves on to another school, they mm-hmm. can leave a vacuum that means the group's hard to sustain because it's a daytime activity. But we have done that, and I know other uniformed organisations have uh, have successfully run that for periods as well. Uh so yes, we can we we can definitely look at that. Sorry, Claire, you were coming in at the same time there.
2: Yeah, I was just going to say, traditionally we have met in churches, but we we would like to broaden that because um, we want to be seen as as an organization open to all with safe, neutral venues, and some schools or community centers or other places may be um, more beneficial for us to meet in and mean that then there wouldn't be the same perceptions um, of our organisation um, and then that we can legitimately say that we are open to everyone. Um, so the, the the problem in the past has maybe been that um, schools wanted to charge and, and then there was a knock on financial effect. But if there could be a partnership, um, because we are in the education sector as much as the schools, and if there could be some sort of partnership working that would be really useful and really beneficial to us. Um, And if the school building is lying there um, in an evening, not used, well then why not open it for the community and for us and other sport organisations to use? Um, And it would be be a really big help to us. Um, So, yeah, we have tried in the past to go to schools um, with our development officers um, and speak to school assemblies to do recruitment campaigns. That has become more difficult in the last number of years because schools obviously have other priorities and commitments um, at their assemblies, quite rightly so. But now going forward, I'm not quite sure how we are going to get our foot in the door at all. Um, We're trying to, to do recruitment from schools um, and, and some of them do not want to take posters or leaflets anymore because then they get inundated by other organisations too. So again, my plea is when you're out there, Please, um,
12: raise awareness of, of the good work that we're doing. Thanks very much for that, Claire. Uh, uh, and Chair just to round off I mean like Daniel I would like to visit So Crawfords that's so perhaps that's
1: a joint day visit to Lorne and uh, Crawfords is on yeah. um, we, 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 we yeah. the other a few the outdoor education centres as Jonathan referred to earlier so we may have to do a, a tour. I'm to ask
12: you to organise that chair, but not put you under any pressure. But, but just
3: nice you a nice, nice. team building for the community. Uh, team for the maybe there, chair. There
12: you go. There you go. <laughs> that makes me special. Uh, but just a funny. I mean, I I must say I benefited greatly from my years of membership of the Boys Brigade, and I think I reached a lofty colour, a lofty height of colour sergeant. And if I remember, it was a pillbox peaked cap. With a leather haversack and a belt, a leather belt. Uh, I think I looked something like a French policeman. But uh, we'll knock it down here. It was a long time ago.
1: <laughs> thank you very much.
12: Thank and congratulations. you, Thanks, that,
1: Mars. You should thank be this you. with uh, your your drill sergeant experiences, then. Uh, <laughs> you might you might keep the rest of them more in line than I'm able to. <laughs> Thanks, that, Mars. Claire, Jonathan, thanks so much for your, your evidence uh, today. Hopefully, that is um, the start of a wider engagement with the committee uh, and definitely committee visits um, to your sites when rules allow would be beneficial, uh, I sense. So, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Chris. For-
3: Appreciate it.
1: Thanks, folks. All the best. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Can I ask Assembly Broadcasting to remove witnesses and to add members back into the spotlight and ask the clerk to summarise any actions or requests from the briefing? Thank you. Clark, I think you might need to unmute your device and might be worth me advising other members to keep their devices muted until they have to agree or suggest anything. Thanks, Clark.
0: Um, So, um, one of the key things was about uh, the the restart date for um, residential and camping, um, which is obviously so central to the work that these organisations do. Um, So, I think the committee is going to, first of all, want to represent that um, to the health minister, uh, the the education minister and chief medical officer. um, And. Whether the committee then invites, uh, sorry, takes up the invitation to go to Lauren or Crawford's Fern would also depend on on you know the level of restrictions during the summer or after the summer. Um, but I can certainly um, add some outdoor centres to uh, the list of places that uh, the committee wants to go um, in its forward work programme. Um, the uh an item that came up that we can request then from the witnesses in writing is um the girls attitude survey um from the first lockdown which seems to um just have a lot of data in it and from a gender perspective but also and from that key experience of of not being able to um do your your outdoor activities socially um the um Members also wanted the, the witnesses um to write in to the committee stating exactly what it is that they need um for recovery um after this period and um also for the development of their volunteers. Um so an I another um item that came up was uh again to do with girls. Um Nicola asked about the safety and sexual violence um you know, kind of uh, attitude work that can be done, um, in these very safe spaces uh, of guiding and rangers and rainbows, um, and Claire Flowers offered to run focus groups, um, at those older, um, age group levels, um, with her with her girls to see what it is that they need to feel safe and strong, and what what it is that they want to represent about this, um, so that offer, um. Uh, it might be useful to refer that to the women's caucus. Um, Claire seems to already have done a bit of inter-party um, work uh, on that, um, so I would suggest that as an action. And then on the on the mo- kind of very practical level of, you know, how do voluntary sector outdoor centres and particularly uniform groups then, um, how can they access funding um, as accessibly as the education authority's own youth service and obviously the voluntary aspect um, and the kind of the nature of the venues um, are key but we could ask the education authority and what it can do um, to make its funding um, equally accessible or more accessible to build in some flexibility that there would be perhaps um, less bureaucracy or um, that it would be more accessible to volunteer organisations Um, and then there was also, um, uh, a desire to resource the, these organizations so that they can actually, um, have an outreach policy. that goes straight to the most vulnerable children. Um, So that would require capacity building, um, resource and training of volunteers. Um, But that's for, you know, looked after children or newcomer children, or whoever has got the greatest need at any given time. Um, so there's quite a lot in that session, members, and um, just to recap, I suggest a letter to the EA, a letter to the ministers about um, residential, um, a reference to the Women's Caucus um, for that safety and gender issue, and then for the witnesses to come back to us, A, with the Girls' Attitude Survey, and B, with a letter stating what it is that the organisations most need.
1: Members content to agree those actions? or
9: I think a letter to the, letter to the chief medical officer uh, as well, obviously, because his advice, it's, it's not to, to tell him what his advice should be, but just <clears throat> in terms of the, sometimes the consistency of message, you know, that folk can go on a caravan but can't, can't go to a tent it's in a tent sort of thing. We need, we need those sort of clarities. And a, um, I mean, I, I, you heard it there, but I know from my own experience, uh, and knowledge of the scouting organization, the the impact negative impact of Crawford's were not having residential facilities, both indoor and outdoor, is is, large, is She taking a huge toll, and it when you consider that both organizations were saying their numbers were down by thirty to thirty five percent, very serious situation, because each 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 member has to pay capitation to London, and then that goes around the regions. That's a massive financial blow. We even look at the residential centres, you know. Okay,
1: members,
5: content with that? Yeah, chair. Sure. Can I maybe just raise the issue rather than uh, us, uh, rather than us relying? And I, th- I think let me just say to to Justin, I think his suggestion is is a, an excellent one in trying to engage those children who are in uh, social care uh, with with the uniformed organisations. I think you're very, very positive. But perhaps we could put it the other way, chair, and perhaps make the social services, aware uh, of the willingness of the uh, uniformed organisations. Well, the two uniformed organisations that were with us today. But I think that we'd be in general, chair, uh, uh, willing to make a very positive contribution to to those children who are uh, in care. Thank you,
0: members.
1: Okay, anything else,
0: Clark? No, I suppose just one thing is the scope of the session. Um, There were uniformed um, organisations here today, but I I expect there are other voluntary sector outdoor centres as well um, who've also been struggling. So, you know, if members are aware of other organisations that they would like to come to committee, I think there's scope for that.
1: Yeah, I think it'll be worth us engaging with the other EA outdoor uh, activity centres as well and due course. So I'll I'll return with a, a proposal in that regard, Clark. Thank you. Okay. Members content to agree those actions? Agreed? Agreed. Agreed. Thanks. That's great. Okay, members then we move on to agenda item six which is our oral briefing from the Department of Education, Department of Health, and the Education Authority on the Youth Emotional Health and Wellbeing Framework and Child Adolescent Mental Health Services. And I ask Assembly Broadcasting to remove members from the spotlight and to add our witnesses. And I refer members to a Department of Education briefing paper at page 42 of your packs. DE and Department of Health, Children and Young People's Emotional Health and Wellbeing in Education Framework at page 48. And the Emotional Health and Wellbeing in Education Framework Implementation Plan at page 88. Can I welcome Ricky Irwin, Director Inclusion and Wellbeing at the Department of Education. Angela Kane, Head of People's Support Team Gavin Quinn, uh, an official at the Department of Health. Paul Miller, Social Care Commissioning Lead for Emotional Health and Child and Adolescent Mental Health Services at the Health and Social Care Board. Geraldine Teague, the Lead Allied Health Professionals Consultant at the Health and Social Care Board. Shauna Collinson, Interim Assistant Director of Pupil Inclusion, Wellbeing and Protection at the Education Authority and Nicola Topping, Head of Support Services for pupil Wellbeing at the Education Authority. Can I advise witnesses that you'll have approximately 10 minutes uh, to make opening statements, followed by questions from the members. Hand over to Ricky, I presume.
13: Uh, Yes, thanks, Chair. Can you see us okay? I can, yes. Okay, that's fine. Thank you. Um, Good morning and... Thanks for inviting us today um, to give you an update on where we've got to with our, our wellbeing framework and I'm delighted to have colleagues from the EA and Health with us as well. Um, as you'll be aware we've been working steadily in partnership with the Departments of Health, Communities and Justice, Public Health Agency, Health and Social Care Board and the EA to develop a wellbeing framework. Uh, we knew when we started there was a pressing need to help address the increasing of increasingly complex issues facing our children and young people but none of us knew how these issues would be further compounded by the COVID pandemic. It was timely therefore for both the Ministers of Health and Education to jointly launch the Wellbeing Framework at the end of February this year and hopefully this conveys a clear commitment to joint working between education and health and indeed the other departments and partner organisations who've been working with us on this. We're now working hard to progress the actions and proposals contained within the Implementation Plan and we know there's more to be done to ensure we're meeting the needs of all our children and young people. This is a continuous and evolving process. Three programmes have already commenced, so I can give you a quick update on those now. Text to Nurse was launched at the end of February for post-primary age pupils. Available figures up to the end of April show that over 1300 messages have been received with all being responded to within 24 hours. This is giving our young people the opportunity to quickly and anonymously seek support about a range of health related issues from a school nurse. So it is very encouraging to see the level of uptake so far. The REACH programme has also commenced through the EA Youth Service and to date over 170 support Requests have been received from schools across Northern Ireland uh, and between April to May, over 1,600 pupils have or are currently receiving REACH support. Thirdly, the CA Wellbeing Hub was launched in September 2020, which brings together resources to promote the learning and development of skills to support people's wellbeing and mental health. To date, the Hub has received over 9,500 visits. The remaining programs detailed in the implementation plan are either approved or, uh, and under development or proceeding through the approval process with the intention of commencing delivery to schools in the new academic year. I should also mention that additional funding has recently been secured for a primary school counselling pilot and another well-being fund to help educational settings address the impact of COVID should be, um, funding should be released for that soon. All elements of the implementation plan will be subject to close monitoring and evaluation to ensure they are meeting need, and as part of, a, of, uh, of this process we intend to further engage with our stakeholders, including children and young people themselves, to make sure their voices are heard. In conclusion, I want to assure you we are committed to supporting the emotional health and wellbeing of our children and young people. And Our aspiration is that the framework and the delivery plans will help ensure there, in part, to reach their full potential and receive the support they need when they need it. Chair, I'll hand over to um, Gavin from the Department of Health, who will also provide a short opening statement. Gavin.
14: Thank you, Chair. Can I just check that you're hearing and seeing is okay? Um,
1: yes. We, you might want to just speak as loudly and clearly as you can. The,
14: the audio is slightly faint, but uh, we provision. We... Of children and adolescents mental health services within the context of the wellbeing framework. Members will be acutely aware of the complex issues and challenges facing our children and young people. According to the youth wellbeing prevalence survey 2020 rates of anxiety and depression are around 25 percent higher in our child and youth population in comparison to other UK nations. It's widely accepted that the impact of COVID-19 is further exasperated disposition. The loss of daily structure that school attendance normally provides alongside reduced contact with social contacts and supports in schools all having an impact on our children's well-being and possibly leading to deterioration in their mental health. Against this backdrop, it is now more than ever that we need effective and comprehensive support services for our children and young people. CAMs are organised according to a step-car model that aims to ensure that children and young people receive the appropriate level of care at the earliest point that best meets their assessed needs. Services are delivered through the CAMs integrated care pathway which sets the quality standards across the different steps to care. It is widely recognised that CAMs have faced significant pressures in recent years as a result of increased demand for services and resource limitations. Feedback from HSC colleagues also indicates that we are beginning to see some services coming under increasing pressures as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, with some referrals on the increase and a regional inpatient facility at Beechcroft being fully occupied on a more frequent basis. In recognition of this, the Department of Health has worked with delivery partners to implement some short-term actions aimed at improving operational effectiveness of services. This work has involved investing an additional three-quarters of a million during 2021 to tackle waiting lists, rolling out a GP training programme to increase awareness and support, and also securing an additional half a million in June monitoring this year to alleviate current pressures. In parallel, the Department of Health has worked collaboratively with partners, including the Department of Education, to implement longer-term initiatives aimed at achieving systemic change the establishment of CAMS emotional wellbeing teams in schools under the Wellbeing Framework forms a key element of this work. CAMS wellbeing teams will provide an in reach service to schools that will involve staff directly supporting young people to ensure that unmet needs are addressed, while also working collaboratively with teaching staff and other providers such as the RISE team to coordinate and deliver wellbeing programs and interventions. In doing so, This new service aims to promote emotional well-being of our children, build individual and collective resilience, and most critically, provide intervention at the earliest opportunity. This collaborative and early intervention approach aligns well with the new 10-year mental health strategy, which was published for public consultation in December 2020. This strategy sets an ambitious vision for the future delivery of mental health services, along with a number of priority actions. From a CAMS perspective, key priorities include increasing the level of investment in CAMS to 10% of the overall mental health budget, it's currently sitting at 8%. Strengthening support for vulnerable young people through the implementation of a no-wrong-door approach. Creating clear and reasonably consistent urgent emergency and crisis services for our children and young people and improving our processes and support for young people transitioning from CAMHS to adult mental health services. Analysis of the strategy consultation responses is now being completed and it is anticipated that the new mental health strategy will be launched in summer 2021. When published, the strategy will be the Department of Health's long-term plan to address the existing mental health pressures and to meet the increased needs created by the pandemic. Sure. I will finish there with my thanks to you uh, and the committee for, for listening, and we're happy to take any questions on any of the details I outlined. Thank you. Thanks, Dad,
1: Ricky, and uh, Gavin. Uh, uh, any other contributions before I bring members in for questions at this stage?
13: Uh, no, Chair, that's it.
1: Okay, thanks, Ricky. Can I bring in the Deputy Chairperson, Pat Sheehan, MLA?
4: Uh, thank you, John. Next to all the officials here this morning, uh, I've been engaging with uh, school leaders and support leaders in schools throughout my constituency over the past few weeks here, and they tell me they're dealing with a multitude of of uh, emotional health and wellbeing issues. Uh, for example, waiting list for the waiting lists for the independent uh, schools counselling service are, are a concern. Uh, the impact of the pandemic on pupils and potential shortage of education, educational welfare officers, are all—all all of these are contributing to issues around mental health services in our schools. Can I ask first of all if these are issues that officials
13: are aware of? Thanks. Uh, Pat, maybe if I start uh, and invite um, colleagues from the EA to come in behind me. Um, yes. Uh, absolutely um uh, we obviously are aware of the impact covid has had on the well-being of pupils across the entire um school system and i suppose that's the reason why um the additional uh, 5 million pound has been um secured this year to go directly to schools so the schools can put in place appropriate measures at a school level um to support pupils' well-being there was of course 5 million um last year uh, as well so there's um Lots of money there I suppose the the timing of the framework and the package of projects which are coming out of the framework um, will also contribute to meeting the demand that has arisen because of um, the pandemic and I mentioned at the start some of the projects that have actually come on stream and further projects will actually commence hopefully early on in the academic year uh, in a few months time in terms of the independent counseling um, service, Uh, I know when I last appeared in front of the committee, I had mentioned about a waiting list of around um, 400. What I failed to mention was, in fact, that that's not a waiting list between one and 400 pupils, that actually pupils who are identified for counselling are assessed within a contractual time frame of 15 days. And then if counselling is required, will normally be seen within five days um, after that. That is the specification um, within the contracts for the counselling providers but maybe at this point if I um, hand over to Shauna and um, Nicola just to elaborate a wee bit more okay, about, if I, about
1: thing, if I can come in, now, Pat might be able to um, clarify for me but um, you said that last time you heard there was 400 on the waiting list and then you, <laughs> you, you spoke after that. I Forgive me, I'm no clearer about the four hundred on the waiting list as a result of what you said after that, maybe that was my ignorance, and Pat has picked it up better than me. But um, if he yeah. hasn't, if he hasn't, I'd, I'd be keen for you to explain what again what you meant by yeah. uh, So so are there four hundred pupils on the independent yeah. counseling service waiting list, or, or are you trying to um explain that a bit more?
13: Uh, yeah, I think I'll ask I'll ask the EA to explain that. Thank you.
7: Thanks. Yes, no problem. Um, I'll, I'll let um, Nicola
15: speak to the, the waiting list and ICSS. Okay. Um, as of the 21st of May, the waiting list for post-primary mainstream schools was 400. And for special schools, it was 25, and I think what Ricky was beginning to say in relation to that is that is not a waiting list of 400 children that is held centrally, and that perhaps one or two counselling counsellors are trying to gently chip their way through. That is 400 children across the entire post-primary school population, with a significant number of counsellors working to address the waiting list issue. Now the waiting list is also only accurate on the day on which it is counted because obviously we could have 400 on the 21st of May and on the 1st of June it could be 300, 250 as children come into and leave counselling. Um, Or it could be more. Um, Or it could 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 be be more, more. absolutely, it could be more, there there is no question. But I think what we're trying to say is it's not a a group of children held in a list in one place with a couple of people chipping away at it. It is across the entire post-primary school population with a significant number of counsellors working on that. And Ricky is correct in terms of the contractual obligations of the providers. An urgent case must be dealt with. Immediately within twenty four hours. Any child on a waiting list is assessed by the providers within fifteen days and then counselling follows quite quickly after that.
7: Just to add to that, the, the overall number is it's the accumulation of each school's Waiting list, which would be a small number, and each school then would have its designated um counsellor, and um, so each counsellor has a very small waiting list that's monitored and monitored. Sorry, and then the the central number of the four two five is the accumulation of all of those individual waiting lists. If that gives some clarity to we have
4: could I, could I come back in there no, just and I mean. Waiting lists are a very topical issue at the moment, given the, the state of the health service and so on. And I had a meeting a couple of weeks ago with the West Belfast Area Learning Community, and uh-huh. Professor Siobhan O'Neill, the mental health champion, was also at that meeting. And it was, it was, it was a dedicated meeting around uh, mental health and well-being and so on in schools in West Belfast. And it actually became quite an emotional meeting uh, because of the pressures that our, our our teaching staff and pastoral support leaders are working under. And I mean what what I fear is that we're going to move into a situation and the, the chair highlighted it there. I was just going to come in myself. Well it's four hundred at the minute, it could be five hundred next month, it could be six hundred in September. And and what we really need to know is how we're going to get the numbers down. And you see uh, I, I suppose it sort of leads on to the question I was going to ask about the resilience of this strategy given the, the sort of new dimension of issues that have arisen out of the pandemic and you know what new resources associated with this strategy are going to, end to deal with those mental health and, and wellbeing issues and, and and to provide the support that's needed in our schools to deal with them thanks.
13: I suppose, Pat, from my perspective, um, the level of, inve- of investment this year uh, is around 20 million. Um, so that's made up of 6.5 million recurrent funding um, for the framework itself, which is 5 million from education and 1.5 million from health. On top of that, we then have 4 million pounds for nurture programs. On top of that, we then have 5 million pounds for COVID specific funding directly to schools for wellbeing interventions and on top of that we have now identified a further five million to roll out the primary school counselling. So and that's quite a quite large hard, investment hard, this hard year. Hard across here, Ricky.
4: And you know, that's all well and good. Uh, and and it's good that those resources are, are going in. Uh, and that was the question I asked. But I mean what, what I really want to know is uh, who's going to be held to account for getting these waiting lists reduced. Uh, you know, no child should be waiting uh, any sort of length of time at all to be assessed under receipt receive counseling if, if if they need it, and you know so if if the lists have risen next month, in in the same way that uh, waiting lists in the health service have risen, who do I go to to say why have you not uh, reduced these waiting lists? Who who's the person who puts their hand up and says? That's my responsibility.
13: I suppose it's it's the EA that managed that contract on counselling and they liaise with us. If there's increased demand and there's demand for additional funding, then we will obviously provide that. Um, I don't know, Nicola, if you want to talk a wee bit more about how you manage that that level of demand because I had previously reported that the 400 was actually the same as pre-pandemic levels and there hadn't been a huge increase in demand coming through.
15: Um,
1: well, right, can I supplement that briefly as well? What what does four hundred on the waiting list actually mean to those children on the waiting list? You say assessment is fifteen days urgent yeah. which which sounds like a long enough period of time to me to be honest, but then urgent cases are twenty four days. So yeah. four hundred and twenty five pupils right. on the waiting list, yeah. what, what what does that actually mean in reality? Hopefully that's not right.
15: Sorry, to clarify, an urgent case will be seen within twenty four hours, uh, chair, not twenty four days. Um, so, uh, so, um, so basically, in relation to waiting lists, waiting lists are held locally by schools, and the key contact within the school and the local counsellor within the contract specification, meet on a weekly basis. They discuss the individual cases that are on the waiting list. If a child come forward, comes forward with and is very distressed and something very urgent is happening, then a discussion takes place, that child is seen, and a decision is taken about how to progress that, bearing in mind that it may not be an issue for counselling. It could be a safeguarding issue or something else and therefore needs to go to another source of support. Um, and then the additional um, the children who are not in, in, I suppose, in urgent need, are then seen within the 15 days, assessed as to whether counselling is the appropriate way forward to support them, or if they require something else, and then they are seen after that. Um, so um, it's a very closely monitored piece we then in turn have contractual arrangements with each of the providers for ongoing contract management and we keep an eye to all of the trends and then feed them through and ricky is correct we are not seeing an increase that is it's very similar to what it was pre-covid pandemic but we also have within schools it's not just the counselling sessions we also have drop-in sessions so there may be children within a school situation who do not want to sit down and speak to somebody for five or six weeks or for an hour, but want to drop in, see the counsellor for a short period of time, maybe even just 10 or 15 minutes, have a chat, go away. Um, so there are, a, there are a number of things in relation to that um, that, that help and support that process. Um, but I say to date, we're not seeing a massive increase, but as Ricky says, we, keep, uh, and we monitor it on a monthly basis. Um, we also have a situation that began last year and will continue for the duration of this contract, in that we have extended the number of hours that schools are getting, and we have also extended the contract to include an extra two weeks, uh, uh, extra four weeks. Sorry, two at the start of July, and two at the end of August, to try and maximise the support available um, to the young people. Okay. Pat, do
1: you want to ask.
4: Uh, yeah. yeah, sure. I, I'd like to come back on this because this is a, a very important issue that the committee has focused on in, in the in the past. while. and um, I mean, we had uh, Professor Siobhan O'Neill give evidence to the committee, and I hear what you just said about there doesn't seem to be an increase uh, pre and post uh, COVID, or uh, yeah, pre and post COVID in terms of of uh, children on the waiting list. Uh, I mean, my view we should have, we really should have a very small waiting list. And Siobhan O'Neill agreed with my assessment that we were facing a tsunami of emotional and wellbeing challenges in the time ahead as a result of the pandemic and lockdown and so forth. But what what I don't want to do, and, and, and what I'm not trying to do here, is get into a fight with either the department or the EA or whoever. Uh, all all I really want to know is uh how can this committee help you? And and we can't help you unless we know who is responsible and accountable for ensuring that these waiting lists are reduced. Because if you haven't got enough resources, then the committee can bring pressure to bear on the minister. Uh if there are problems with recruitment of of the of the of the right councillors and so on, we need to know that. But we need to know who to go to, and and whoever that person or persons are, they need to put their hand up and say this is my responsibility. I mean, we don't want to be dealing with this issue for six months down the road, uh, and 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 we're not sure who it was was responsible for trying to reduce these waiting lists. Uh, I, I suppose maybe the question should be asked. Uh, is there a strategy to reduce the waiting list or are people comfortable at it sitting around 400? Because I wouldn't be happy with that.
7: Um, Pat, I think it's, it's the education um duty and responsibility to deliver the contract to schools and to monitor the delivery of that contract and then to report and engage with the department if we are not able to meet the need and if we need additional resource and fund um, to be able to extend the provision that is offered to schools. So it's our responsibility and it's our responsibility then to report that into the department and and to to bid and seek additional funds as we need them. I think alongside the... Well,
4: sorry, sorry, just to uh, interrupt you, apologise for this. Um, what's the assessment at the minute? In terms of resourcing, given that there are four hundred children on that waiting list,
7: we, we at the minute we are able to manage um, with regards to the the young people on the local waiting lists per school. But um, if there is an increase in demand, um, then we will have to put in um, you know that additional pressure base over the department. I think alongside.
4: Yeah, but yeah, yeah, but and and, and that's okay. But that, that contradicts what I was hearing at the meeting I was at with the West Belfast area learning community, that they're actually struggling. There's there's a massive burden on their shoulders in terms of young people with mental health issues, with young people taking their own lives and so on. And they don't feel there are enough services available, but you seem to be saying you're satisfied that there are only 400 children on the waiting list. Uh, I mean, I, I can't reconcile those two positions.
7: Yeah. No, I if
13: suppose I, could, it's I not. Could, sorry. Uh, sorry, Shauna. Maybe if I could come in there. Um, I suppose Pat, this goes beyond just the, the counselling service. It also comes down to access to other services that are available. And I think if there's an issue uh, that seems that's that's there in West Belfast, we need to understand that more and understand exactly what type of services are required. Is it an increase in counselling or is it actually an increase in access to more acute services like access to CAMS, for example? So let us take that away and look at that in more detail and see um, what additional support needs to be provided there. Is that
1: okay? Okay.
4: Okay. Thanks, John. Yeah.
1: Thanks, Pat. And the members, I'm keen to try and um, be as flexible as I can with time on an issue of such importance, but I will need to keep this moving to some extent as well. Can I bring in Robin Newton, MLA, please? Thanks.
5: Uh, thank you, Chair, and uh, welcome the, the officers, the team, uh, too. I, I just have a couple of short questions, I think, Chair. Uh first of all I I I would want to in terms of calms, I would want to because my my, my office is located in the Inner East Belfast area. Um, and we do have uh, a significant uh problem in child mental health and uh, I have been, I have to say, quite impressed uh by uh the the, the support that is being offered uh in, in this area. Uh, and indeed, uh, I'm not sure what 400 means on the waiting list, but uh, certainly parents that I've had contact with uh, ha- have been expressing uh, their satisfaction in how the children and young people uh, are, are, are are being uh, helped. Can I just ask two questions uh, around what you regard overall? Uh, and I've looked through the document uh, you've provided, and perhaps it really shouldn't be in the document but can you maybe just uh, talk us over what the success overall how you're managing uh, the success o- overall uh, and then could you maybe comment on the pilot program that you anticipate uh, for the primary schools and uh, the fact that it has been delayed and Really, what does it mean? When will you be up and running with that, that pilot scheme? And what would you hope to learn uh, from the, the pilot? Thank you, Chair.
13: Thanks, Robin, for the questions. Um, in terms of what does success look like uh, in terms of the wellbeing framework, work, framework, I think for us, really, that would be that we could see that there was less of a requirement for um, enhanced services and intervention for children and young people. And that actually we had built the levels of resilience and empowerment within our children and young people to be able to manage their own emotions, and and if they do need to seek help, to actually know where to go, and that when they go for that help, that those services are there. So I think that's kind of a high level, what does success look like? It would also be about ensuring that there's integration between health and education, that the services are seamless, that they work together, and that they actually meet the needs for our children and young people in a timely fashion. So the whole discussion we've just had around support um, in West Belfast is an example of that. So if there's an issue that we need to look at in, in more detail, um, we, we will actually do that. I think as well for me, it's about identification of good practice, what works, what doesn't work, making sure that we share that right across the school system and within the individual services um, as well. So. They're kind of the key indicators from my point of view. Um, In terms of the primary school counselling pilot, um, we are aiming to get this started early on in the next academic year. Um, We are still working on the business case for that. Our intention um, is that every primary school will take part in the pilot. Uh, And we're very pleased that we've secured the £5 million um, COVID funding to allow us to actually bring that forward. We want to make sure that we capture um, the information from the pilot to inform any future decision that a minister may take um, on this area. Um, And, of course, we want to look at the lessons from the post-primary counselling service that's currently um, in place. So the actual detail of how the pilot will work is, is not finalised yet we may use a similar model where we actually work with voluntary community sector counselling providers um, who are accredited and we would probably provide that list of providers to the schools to say here are the um, counselling providers that you can engage with so we're still working through the detail of that but we're very happy to come back and, and update the committee on that once we finalise that Robin, i hope that's okay
5: yeah, I think that would be useful, uh, Ricky. Once the the work has has been done, that would be useful. I, I do take the point that you've you, you're indicating, you know, what the indicators are. Uh, are there any measurements that uh, you, you're you're able to to produce? Um,
13: each of the services and projects under the framework will have a set of metrics in place. So of course, uh, we'll want to know how many children um, are, there are uh, up taking in each service, but we'll also want to look at the outcomes for those children. So we'll have to have um, surveys in place and that's the sort of detail um, that we're looking at now. So for example, I mentioned the text and nurse service which has been running now um for a few months. We have metrics around the number of children that have benefited. We know that all those children have received support um within twenty four hours. And we know as well that the sort of issues that are that are coming forward are around anxiety, um, wellbeing, depression, self-harm. So that's the sort of information that we're now um, starting to get through on the projects that are currently up and
5: running. Yeah. I, I do do we know in terms of the young people engaging in the CAMS service do we know how many young people are satisfied when the, the process of CAMS, or how many have to be referred on to um a higher level of service
2: that's Robert, the right word
13: Okay, I'll pass that one over to our health colleagues. So perhaps maybe Paul uh, and/or Gavin could answer that.
16: Yeah. Um, hi, hi, Robin. Um, within Northern Ireland, we operate a step care model um, from step one, which is universal, and um, through to early intervention, through to specialist, through to intensive, and then So it really depends on the needs of the young people. Um, in, in terms of your question, young people can obviously progress uh, through and, and, and sadly do if their mental health deteriorates. In order to access step three, there needs to be an, uh, children experience moderate and severe mental health or emotional difficulties. So that, that can vary. Uh, we, we do within CAMS are looking to set up a, a, a measurement tool. Um, we often take feedback in terms of that. and. Regrettably, also, uh, and Gavin mentioned, some young people actually transition on if their mental health is so enduring uh, and long lasting in the adult mental health. This is why it's important to think for certainly this framework that we adopt an early intervention approach. We're keen to put professionals, core CAM staff in schools to capacity build alongside our educational colleagues to identify those children that actually are maybe responding to. Appropriately so to an adverse incident, that don't necessarily need a specialist calm service because of being of our assessment periods and are directed then to maybe more appropriate community supports or the likes of schools counselling. Does um, that answer your question?
5: Yeah, I'd, I'd be. I don't know, it's probably a question too deep for today, but. Um, you know, the Deputy Chair was referring to comments made by uh, Siobhan O'Neill in, in her work, um, and we'd be, I think, be the concern of, I think, every member of the committee uh, about the mental health and well-being of, of our pupils at this stage. Um, so is it is it possible to, to at this stage to give an indication of the number of pupils, young people in education who do, then do need to uh, seek further medical, mental health support?
16: Um, I, I don't, uh, oh, sorry. Um, all, so sorry, Cam's can perspective, um, it's, it's a not a team service. So in, in many respects, a lot of them will be in the education system. We don't break it down into a geographical school area. Or anything like that. I don't know if colleagues in education can. Um, I, I, I don't.
13: I don't think it's information that we would hold at a kind of system level. Um, Robin, obviously, individual uh, services like CAMS would have, you know, their their lists uh, of children that they're dealing with. Um, it's something that we we can consider um, once we get all these projects up and running. We okay. will have we will have an indication about how my children are in, involved in them all, but of course some children may be involved in more than one service. So there's that aspect too. So it's not like we have a single database, unfortunately, that we're maintaining all of all of this on.
5: Okay, thank you, Chair. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Robin. I'm I'm trying to bring as many members in as I can, Ricky. But you, in in response to Robin's uh, question with regards to you know what what measurements are going to be in place. What what success is going to look like? You mentioned that success will look like emotionally resilient young people, and I, and I think that is a a positive approach to the strategy. You also said that you that success would look like the implementation of best practice preventative interventions. And Robbie Butler and I had the privilege of seeing. Uh, youth Mental Health Charity, Pure Mental NI Mental Health Toolkit being delivered by outstanding teachers at Branwell Primary School in East Belfast. And it really opened my mind. Uh, and this was with, um, re, you know, the youngest primary school children through each primary year. It opened, opened my mind to the the possibilities of, of preventive intervention. They were using uh, puppets. They were using cartoon characters, imagery, um, different props with really exceptional pedagogy from the teachers as well uh, in partnership with those resources to equip young people to express emotions, to be emotionally literate with different emotions. And you could see just how that was equipping the young people to be able to deal with different types of experiences um and uh, and mental health challenges uh, and, and it, it, you one one would presume that 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 is common practice and and it may it may be frequent practice, but the feedback was that there is still a fair bit of work to do to establish that type of approach as common practice and and fantastic that that is you know, pure mental you know, is is a group of um Post primary, or, or just beyond post primary students, um, who've done outstanding work to put to to contribute to the the challenge that we face of um, you know, assisting with the emotional resilience of young people. So, uh, is that the type of approach that you foresee the Department of Education being able to support as part of this framework?
13: Chair, sure, I w- I would say yes. I mean, we we've engaged with Pure Mental. Um, we've engaged with the Secondary Students' Union of Northern Ireland and the Northern Ireland Youth Forum. And I think as we go through delivery of this framework, we want to continue to engage with them and identify those um, good practice interventions and try to get those disseminated
1: right across the system. So absolutely, yes. It's fantastic. I'm sure Brannell Primary School will be glad to host you to see it in action again if you you need to, Ricky. Thanks (laughs) for that. Okay, can I bring in Daniel Macrossan, MLA?
6: Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Ricky, and to uh, colleagues uh, there for uh, the presentation being with us this morning. Uh, I'll just go straight to questions, Chair. Um, the framework is entitled Children and Young People's Emotional Health and Wellbeing in Education Framework. If I understand it correctly, it is intended to have a holistic and multidisciplinary approach with more targeted support when a specific need is identified. And we've covered that in previous sessions. This is sensible, however. I am not so sure the implementation to date is following this plan uh, too well. We have resources targeting nurture provision, uh, which is good and very necessary. And we also have uh, the text a nurse program and the reach program. These are specific uh, to uh, more targeted support, as is the RISE teams, the CAMS emotional well-being teams, and the primary school counseling pilot. Again, all these are very good and necessary. But uh, what about the programs for all children? Uh, we don't seem to be focusing on these so much. For example, we need to get all of our children more active. And further to that, does the department accept that there is a significant link between positive mental health and good quality physical activity? And if you do, how is the, this being promoted through this framework uh, more than in the past and what resources have been set aside to promote it?
13: Thanks, Daniel. So I suppose the first thing to say is we have other projects that we need to, to bring on stream here. So, you know, an ex- extension of RISE support. Um, there are, there's a, a further CAMS service um, dedicated to schools that has to come on stream. Um, we also have you know, emotional well-being teams within the EA that are going to support schools. So, the, so when you look at the framework, the idea of um, three levels, emotional well-being for all being the first level, it will be the work of these projects together to actually promote that culture of emotional well-being for all children within the school. So at a school level, schools will be encouraged to... Um, consider the best way to do that and that could be in terms of promoting physical activity as a way of um, promoting positive emotional well being but it could also be a a whole series of other activities so there's flexibility within the framework to deliver against um, that sort of approach. Maybe if I could, could Shauna or or Nicola from the EA talk a bit more about the the, uh, emotional well being teams that are going to support
15: schools? Okay um, Certainly, uh, there are a number of things. Um, from our point of view, we're hoping to progress with DE uh, a proposal called being well Doing well. Um, and that proposal will uh, specifically um, have a, it, it will be a team of people. Who will be working to uh, engage with schools um, both in relation to a universal offer of training and program delivery to support schools to support their children and then it will also have opportunity for more targeted approaches um, in relation to schools here in different stages of the journey but it is very much designed to inform and improve the emotional health and well-being of all children to involve people uh, voice and children in the decisions in high schools function around emotional health and wellbeing. And we plan to promote a range of programmes and opportunities within that. We have also specifically been taking forward um, a number of pieces of work in partnership with others. So, for example, um, if it's helpful, know. Uh, the Education Authority is a member of the Daily Mile Network in Northern Ireland. Um, over 350 schools signed up for the Daily Mile on the 28th of May. We subsequently held a live webinar for schools to help schools understand the link between physical health, emotional well-being and then um, better opportunities for learning. 160 schools expressed interest in that. That webinar will be available as a resource for all schools at the end of August. We are working in partnership with Reverse the Trend Foundation. Um, who, um are a locally-based charity who are going to be running a 12-week program uh, from mid-September looking at resolve, resilience, building good habits around physical and mental and nutritional health. And launched last week, uh, 24,000 children have been signed up to other schools. Um, we also are partnering with Action Mental Health for training resources at the end August. So we have a number of partnerships in operation at the moment that are, I think, beginning to address some of the things uh, Daniel that you raise. And then we specifically have the Being Well, Doing Well program which once it is operational will be um, is not looking toward always the acute end of mental health, but is looking at the universal um, approaches for schools uh, enabling uh, teachers and school staff to better understand the needs of children, to think about where children need support and what support they need because we know counselling is not the the one and only issue and there has to be other ways to look at that. So being well, doing well very much has that element to it um, of providing the universal approach and then helping schools understand how to move things on. Um, So those are some of the examples that we're, we're working on currently.
7: I think just to add on the Reach programme, although part of the Reach programme is that enhanced support and targeted support for individuals, part of the Reach pro- programme is also focused on the wellbeing for all and working with schools to deliver for all of their young people and, and, and the culture and ethos around wellbeing. Um, and I know that, that currently eighty seven schools are working with the Reach programme on, on the wellbeing for all um, rather than the hand support as well. All
6: right, thank, I think. Thank you're, Will those programs that you're discussing be closely monitored and evaluated?
15: Yes, is, is uh, certainly reverse uh, as one example. The Being Well, Doing Well program will have a number of key indicators attached to it under the framework, and it will be closely monitored and evaluated. It is also based on research from NCB, uh, actually commissioned locally by DE and PHA, which expressly sought the views of schools about what they said they needed, so it's trying to address that. Reverse the trend and its Neuronimo program, Will also, um, there's engagement there with Southampton University and Ulster University, so it is actually subject. Um, to quite robust evaluation, and uh, the, the Daily Mind Network is actually chaired by representatives from Stranmillis, and they do significant research in relation at Ulster University in relation to this area of the impact of physical health on on mental health. So there's a there's quite a strong evidence base behind this, which we're also keen to pursue in terms of the programs and initiatives we are taking to schools because schools have also told us that they have significant difficulty trying to understand what is a good program to bring in. So we're keen to work with our colleagues as well in health and PHA to kind of look at what is an appropriate resource and when do you bring it in? Because the wellbeing continuum is not always the acute end where we're we're potentially at, at calm service it's also
6: the early intervention, the universal, and working through that continuum. Yeah, just on that, the reason I've asked that question about monitoring and, and uh, evaluating these programmes is because the office, audit office have continually told us that the Department and the Education Authority uh, can't demonstrate value for money, so I would sincerely hope that by having these mechanism, mechanisms and checks in place that that will ensure value for money. Um, uh, in that regard. Just uh, I can go to the next point. Here. Thank you both, by the way, so far for, for your answers. At a constituency level, one of the most frequent complaints I receive uh, is in relation to the very long waiting lists uh, to get CAMS support, and, and this has been touched on. This runs counterintuitive to the recognition that early intervention is the key to better outcomes. Uh, I appreciate this is primarily a matter for the Department of Health, but as there is now a statutory cooperation requirement between government departments due to the Children's Services Cooperation Act, uh, can you tell me, what uh, has the department raised this matter with the Department of Health? Uh, further to that, now, are you aware of how this problem is impl- uh, impacting of how schools can provide uh, for our children? Uh, are you monitoring and collecting data? And I'll keep coming back to that point on the number of children uh, in our schools who lack the specialist mental health support that schools cannot provide uh, w- uh, from their own resources. And finally, have you evaluated how this is impacting the schools and in particular the children awaiting help? If not, do you have any plans to evaluate them in future?
13: Daniel, if I start and then maybe invite our health colleagues to come in on on the actual CAMS service, Um, when we were working with um, our colleagues in health, we identified that there was a need for additional CAMS-based support, and that is why um, there's a project in there called CAMS Emotional Wellbeing Teams in School Service, uh, and we're um, hoping that that will um, come on stream during the course of the next few months, and that really is designed to to, uh, bolster the support that's needed at that level. Um, in terms of um, waiting lists, probably better if I pass over to um, Paul at this stage just to talk about that. Paul?
14: Yeah I'll just I'll just pick that up first first, Ricky, and and, and thanks for the question. Daniel and and yes we, we are acutely aware of the impact this actually has on a personal level, talking to young people and, and also the parents in terms of the impact that they actually emotionally uh, has on them whenever they are actually on waiting lists so we are acutely aware of the personal impact this actually does have on young people. The the position around waiting lists and calms has been a challenge pre the pandemic and and has continued to be so uh, throughout the pandemic, uh, recognising that uh, the statistics have fluctuated in between times. We we have tried to tackle this on a number of levels, uh, broadly uh, across three levels so we we'll tried to tackle the, the waiting list from a financial point of view. Uh, as I mentioned earlier in the opening comments, we did provide an extra three quarters of a million last year and are providing an additional half a million this year to increase some capacity within CAMS. to actually reduce those waiting lists. At an operational level, uh, we are continuing to engage with the Board on a daily basis who are engaging with the Trust in terms of actually monitoring the, the current position in relation to waiting lists, and we know that the Trusts are implementing some plans and actions that actually to actually address the current pressures, not least in terms of carrying out regular reviews of the assessments, better use of the technology in terms of actually how we can engage young people sooner, but also in terms of actually, and, and this is a big point that contributes to the to the CAMS waiting list positions, is the actually fill of the vacancies and the re of of staff they actually increase capacity to, to deal with those waiting lists. I suppose thirdly it has also been around at a strategic level uh, and this is where i look to our new mental health strategy that will actually see a transformational change when it is actually implemented in terms of actually how we address mental health needs within uh within our own population here and i mentioned there in terms of some of the calm specific actions and uh, which obviously will impact on waiting times for young people in terms of actually uh going forward in the CAMS and a big area around that will actually be increasing the overall investment in, in CAMS delivery but I suppose bringing it right back to your earlier point Daniel and was quite correct around how we do this in collaboration and in partnership is as Ricky's pointed out that we have identified the need in terms of actually if we are really to address witness and the, the key point is about making sure that young people don't actually get on those witness in the first place and that's where the prevention and early intervention work is actually critical and that's where our engagement with the Department of Education colleagues is we have developed this model of care and the CAMS and wellbeing teams within the schools, they actually provide that early intervention and prevention work so that young people don't actually go on the waiting list in the first, in the first place and obviously have the, the impact of actually sitting on those witness lists for any longer than they need to. Paul, don't know where, perhaps you want to pick up on
16: anything about the model? Um, I suppose- just to recognise that, that CAMS is um, a regional model um, that provides step care. And obviously the pandemic has brought its own challenges and one of the most um, prolific challenges has been children with disorganised eating, who are often the most uh, risky and um, in terms of morbidity um, and over the period of time there's been a 50% increase. So from a, from a health and social care perspective, we've had to manage and move resource to deal with some of those levels of risks. Um, young people weren't being seen for because of lockdown, and when they were being seen by professionals, they were acutely unwell, which increased um, their requirements for inpatient treatment. Sorry, I'm speaking to the. I'm looking at you, but speaking behind to the mic. Um, so we we've had to. We've had to manage the the risk. We've had to redeploy staff sometimes in order to manage the most highest risk, which unfortunately has impacted on terms of waiting waiting times. Um, Regarding breaches, we're actually in a better position than we were last year, although the waiting list has gone up. Uh, And broadly speaking, referrals and our ability to accept referrals did dip um, in the first lockdown um, because of um, Refers not seeing and being able to access or being able to refer young people on. But CAMS has been open. It's a, um, staffed by a multidisciplinary team, psychologists, psychiatrists, mental health nurses, social workers. And we have been open during the whole of lockdown. We didn't stand down the service and we tried to offer a blended approach. And I think that's to be welcome. And some of the clinicians have actually said that suits young people in terms of their preferred method of engagement, except it doesn't suit all young people but actually changing the model and how responsive we are in terms of engaging young people at whatever means suits them is something we need to take that learning forward.
6: Okay, thank you very much. Um Daniel, final question, please. Thanks. Okay, um, I'll try and get a short one here. The, the framework um, declares that only evidence-based and evaluated programs are delivered. This is essential in ensuring provision. Uh, is quality assured. Can you tell us, uh, is this going to be the case in every instance? Uh, Can you outline for us how this will happen and what the reporting mechanisms will be uh, and to whom and why have these evaluation processes not been put in place yet? Thank you, Chair.
13: Thanks, Daniel. Um, Thanks, Daniel. Yes, I mean, um, you know, the clear message we got back when we commissioned um, NCB to do the research which informed the framework was that the interventions need to be evidence-based. So to deliver, to deliver that, these uh, current interventions have been designed um, in close partnership with um, the experts, i.e. our, our health partners um, here with us today. Um, and uh, those projects that have started, um, evaluation mechanisms are in place. For those projects that will start in the coming months, evaluation uh, mechanisms will be put in place for those. Um, we have a board which will oversee all of this. Um, we have the uh, mental health champion, Sh- Siobhan O'Neill on that board. And we will, and we are bringing, we've just started to bring reports for the current projects to that board. And as other projects come on stream, we will bring those um, scorecard reports to the board. Um, and the board will appraise those. We're going to use um, an outcomes-based approach. Obviously, we're going to look at what oh, has been, well been done, how has been done on the level of outcomes as yeah. well. So- I can, I can give you that assurance that um, projects will be evidence-based um, and we will be monitoring and evaluating those.
1: Okay. Thanks. That. Ricky, before I bring in our next member, can you, contributors reference the strong evidence base that physical activity contributes to emotional health and wellbeing. What are you doing to monitor the extent to which the recommended PERs per week are being accessed by pupils in Northern Ireland?
13: I'll have to take that one away, Chair, and come back
1: okay. to it. Okay. I'll, I'll be honest, that's that's a bit disappointing when we're hearing today that there's a, a strong evidence base between physical activity activity and emotional health and well-being, and we're not able to answer the extent to which pupils are accessing the recommended PERs per week. I, I think that is a concern, but opportunity given to return to us with some data in that regard. Um, the Assembly agreed a motion previously. It included an, an amendment from myself um, calling on the Education Minister to bring forward a public consultation on making the recommended P ERs per week mandatory. Because I think you'll find when you try, when you when you seek that data that the extent to which pupils are accessing PER per week is nowhere near the recommended amount and indeed as as positive as the Daily Mile is um, I think that, was it 387 schools? It, it HE had, had signed up to the Daily Mile, is that right? Yes, that was right. last week, yeah,
7: three, yes. 350.
15: 350 How right.
1: many schools are there in Northern Ireland? 1200,
15: 1200, 1200.
1: Okay, so a little over a quarter.
7: Yeah, and, and to say that they are, for the most part, they are primary, so it is around encouraging our post-primary skills and, and considering how we encourage the uptake from post-primary skills.
1: Um, okay. I, I, I'd be surprised if I don't have colleagues that agree with me that given that you have positively identified a strong evidence base between physical activity and emotional health and wellbeing, that we would want to see much more robust data in relation to how much physical activity pupils are currently accessing, which I think is probably quite shocking, and what is being done to increase that in a, in a substantive manner. But we'd, we'd um, afford you the opportunity to return to us with that. Thank you. And can I bring in Robbie Butler, MLA, please? Thanks.
8: Thank you, Chair. Um, thank you, everyone uh, that, that's on here. Um, I just want to pay tribute, first of all, to all the staff um, that are connected either to the department or EA, um, or maybe even health, that have actually been on the front line uh, and trying to support our children for a number of years. And there was a, a, a very uh, good question by, I think, it was a Sinead, Sinead Bradley's question, with regard to the uh, critical incident response thing. Um, and there was some feeling and statistics in in uh, the amount of, over three years, I think it was 145 events, 33 of those were were, were very sadly tragic loss of life and stuff, so I think sometimes when we get into these discussions, we forget about the good work that actually is ongoing, has already been done, so I just want to put that on record at the start and please pass on my gratitude genuinely. I've been the mental health spokesperson for the Ulster Unionist Party now since 2016, and it is absolutely brilliant to see the passion that everybody is now speaking with with regard to this topic. But one of the things that I want to put on record here is, th- this, is good, this is a good piece of work, guys. It is a good piece of work, but it doesn't stand alone. And it doesn't stand alone, the chair is absolutely right. Physical activity is really, really important. It does need to be referenced, but it also will be picked up in other documents. So what would I would really want to see is confidence that this isn't a standalone document within or standalone publication within uh, education and health. Um, Also, there was reference to the eating disorders, and I know that that is something that very often we don't talk about, and perhaps we don't talk about medication, if again, it's something where we need to baseline uh, whether children are getting enough food, they're getting the right food, uh, because what I'm I'm, I'm really aware of is the fact that uh, very few um, uh, problems with mental health happen inside the school gates. Most of it will happen outside the school gates, and then we're, we're using the school that we should do, to try our best to, to, to bring emotional well-being to these young people and, and those preventive measures. But the, the crucial point about Modern Center, if you does just indulge me, is that in 2017, we went into a three-year uh, event of, of politics in, in, in Northern Ireland. And these problems existed then. This isn't a COVID issue. This is a, an intergenerational issue uh, with issues like poverty, our environment, um, trauma, abuse, um, and all of those things need to be tackled, and I hope genuinely in this next few weeks um, that uh, we keep this as a, a serious political priority, and we see that as uh, stability in government, which will see the change that our children uh, really deserve. Um, I'm impressed by the partnership approach, I really am. I think one of my questions was answered, um, and this will be a very brief answer, with regards to the CAMS waiting list. Uh, this was something that was quite revealing to, to come out in the, in the document and stuff. I, take it that this, I think it was the Department of Health that said this will hopefully uh, affect the, in a positive way the CAMS waiting list in the health service, would that be fair, did I pick that up, right,
14: Gavin? Yes, that, that, that's right, Robbie. Uh, one of, one of the, what success looks like in terms of the CAMS well-being teams is that essentially we will be able to intervene earlier and provide that preventative approach which will see uh, impact on the number of young people then that are going forward on the waiting lists. And
8: Brilliant. Um just wanna also add Chris our Chair, I want to thank you for mentioning Pure Mental AI because of that, that package that they, they picked through. They also won a, a Merrill Award in Lisbon Castle Bay Council, a five thousand pound grant, which is actually I mean they're all self-funded, and that, that was going to give them some resource to roll us out a wee bit further. So, like the chair had said, I would encourage you to look at that. Um, just I've just got one question, guys. I just really needed to get that other thing off my chest. Um, with regard to the text messaging service with nurses. Okay, um, I'm just curious as to the confidentiality of that and what, what that looks like for sharing of information with parents and carers, and, obviously, and, and what age, what, what, what's the, te- the technical detail around that, if, if anybody can help me out with that, and that's my only question at this stage. Geraldine. is that one for you? Yeah, um, thank you,
13: you Robbie, yes, absolutely, sorry, um, the text nurse is
17: like, right, <coughs> and it is um, a confidential um, mechanism where post primary pupils can seek support and already, as Ricky's alluded to, we are seeing very clearly 35% of the first two months is really in the areas that we're really focusing on anxiety, panic, depression, low mood, emotional well-being and um, sadly also self-harm so uh, the, there are 25 um, public health nurses that's trained in it, 5 per trust with their manager um, we have um, a regional group that oversees that work and it's totally confidential. There is linkages back then from, there's responses back from those group of staff but also signposting with obvious, opposite consent. Some of which even aligns with relationship difficulties, um, issues in relation as we talked about, um, nutrition difficulties and eating disorders but we can assure you absolutely. Um, Northern Ireland actually it's, it's much more widespread and Northern Ireland is seen as quite um, a
8: positive step in development
17: in this area. Okay, well, I um, yeah, just
8: want to finish that one out because Wednesday, uh, I, I, I think it's brilliant. I think it's an excellent idea. The confidentiality piece I would like to understand a wee bit more because when we we're tackling, um, I'm talking about the partnerships and all of those things, and, and a lot of the stuff, the healing will, will happen at home or with carers and with that. So I'm just wondering about the transfer of information when it's appropriate. If if that is the case, is that picked up in in it as well? I I understand the need for confidentiality with certain aspects. However, if we want to see people really transformed, we are going to have to make sure that there's an awareness with carers and parents too.
17: Yeah, I suppose with HSC we are um, bound by confidentiality clauses so staff will work within those remits. Only that will um, change if there is an issue in relation to child protection that, that overrides. So our staff will be part of their duty of care, so we can assure absolute confidentiality. In relation to any technical intervention that's um, inputted across HSE Trusts, it is robustly um, monitored and scrutinised before any agreement um, would be taken place. So again, that assurances has been put in place.
8: Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Chair.
1: Thanks, Robbie. Um, Okay, sorry, excuse me for a second. Thank you. Can I bring in William Humphrey, MLA, please?
9: Um, thanks, Chairman. Uh, good morning, everybody, and thanks for your um, attendance this morning and your input. Um, can I just start about the well-being framework? I mean, it's good to see this morning a joined-upness in, in terms of health, education, and uh, the education authority being with us. That, you know, that that is a good sign and a good signal. Um, in terms of the meeting that this committee had with Siobhan O'Neill, the Mental Health Champion, uh, a number of months ago, you know, we have been talking about a joined, up, um, uh, joined upness around all of this, to be honest, and it needs to be, in my view, health education, uh, communities, the Public Health Authority councils, sports clubs, youth organisations, uniformed organizations, churches and so on. Because we are—I mean, we talked this morning about the a waiting list of four hundred and twenty-five in special schools. Um, that list isn't going to get any smaller, in my view, because the pandemic is the other pandemic uh, of mental health and suicide and general well-being and so on. Is something which uh, is still out there, but is also being hugely affected and exacerbated by COVID. Um, so. I'm pleased to see the joint up this morning. I'd like a wee bit more meat on the bones in terms of the wellbeing framework and how that's going to play out. And I say that as someone who sits in the Shine Forum uh, with pr- principals of secondary and grammar schools in North Belfast, uh, and as a governor of a, of a secondary school in North Belfast, where I have heard the principals say that they're having to spend money, edu- frontline education money on buying in services in terms of young people's mental health and so on. So can I have some reassurance that that joined upness will help deal with those, those issues and that that money that is meant for education um, will go on education and that the services that are much needed and, uh, for our young people will be provided um, through the, the means we're talking about this morning?
13: I think William, um, in the framework we, we've we've recognised the importance of the joined upness, uh, and indeed going beyond just um, health and education, and, and, and bringing in the likes of justice um, and communities and the voluntary community sector. Um, one of the things, uh, as part of COVID, was that whenever there was additional money that was uh, secured. And distributed to each school that the schools had the flexibility to determine how best um, they could spend that money and i think there were some schools who actually reached out into the local community and brought in you know local providers um, of course that's COVID money and that that additional money isn't um always going to be there uh, we've been fortunate we got five million last year and we got five million um this year going forward i think We will need to to look at how we can ensure there is continued joined-upness and what is appropriate um, for a school uh, and in that particular area. And if that means um, potentially allowing that level of flexibility for for the school to to work with local councils, for example, then we should enable that flexibility. So I think the way we've done the framework is it does enable that. Um, I think where this will get tested is in the actual delivery. So we really are kind of in the early stages of this. Once we get the other projects up and running um, and we have all elements of it in place, including wellbeing for all, early support and enhanced support, I think we need to take a a broader look um, at how that uh, interconnectivity and joined-upness is actually working. Are there any gaps? Where's it working well and have we shared that good practice um right across the piece? So
9: and does, does uh, answer that. Yeah, well what 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 sort of um consultation or uh, has there been with school principals? or work with school principals around it?
13: We um consulted with principals as part of the development of the framework itself. Um uh, we we had some um, good sessions with um, principals on that, as as we did with other stakeholders who had an interest in, in wellbeing. So, um, I, you know, schools, I think, are telling us that they want that flexibility, um, but they also want to be guided. Uh, and so the teams and the services that are being put in place will work at a school level to provide that guidance uh, and to provide the signposting to appropriate services. Um, so that's the sort of feedback that we got in the development of this.
9: Yeah, I mean, this is a hu- this is an absolutely huge issue in North Belfast and Greater Shankill, and I know that you'll all be aware of that. Um, and there, there are many good people working in excellent organisations uh, across uh, the area to try and address the issue. But it is a serious and sadly growing issue. So the the joint openness is welcome, but it's got to be seen in terms of delivery uh, and frontline service and to, to help address it.
17: Sorry, William, can I just come in just on the um, connectedness of the wider services? Yeah, I think it probably said earlier, Witness is not standing alone in any shape or form. And just, in, we're here today about Emotion Health Wellbeing Framework just to provide you that HSE is also highly committed to the emotional Health Wellbeing of their population and working differently. And COVID has given us opportunities to test different models, some of which we are hoping to mainstream and others tweak. And really listen very closely to our service users. We're committed, and some of that being single point of entry and better integration across CAMS, ADHD, ASD, those very specialist in um, assessment intervention. We're committed to delivering together, but just about provide assurances, we do have duty to cooperate against um, did mention that earlier. And we currently are drafting ourselves with um, the Education Authority a joint plan, and that will be inspected by RQA and ETI and how the HSE and education. Are effectively working together to improve outcomes for children to deliver seamless and um, pathways of care um, and also that it is very clear that we are listening to our service users. so that is in the process of being developed and it will be inspected on a three yearly basis so that will give that commitment not only on the abortion health and well-being but across all of our children's services we talked about all the population and all children with a wide diversity some of which medical other with more very challenging very complex healthcare and and children with
9: disabilities so that will be part of that whole forward. yeah look this is a, as you know you don't need me to tell you this is a huge issue across northern Ireland. but there there are constituencies where it is extremely acute uh, and north belfast and greater cycle uh, are absolutely up there in the league table thank you very much chair and
1: chair i have to leave at this stage to go to another meeting so my apologies if, um, if i can Um, I'm now at the point where I'm I'm asking all remaining members to remain, (laughs) uh, please. And uh, can I um, at that point bring in uh, Nicola Brogan, MLA, please?
10: Thanks, Chair, and thanks everyone for attending this morning and for your evidence. Um, it's clear that we all recognise the importance of our children and young people's mental health and wellbeing. And I also think it's clear there's a lot of work still needs to be done, but we are making the right track. So. Um, that is that's a positive thing. Um, the first point I want to touch upon is first of all, it's um infant mental health week this week, and there has been a lot of discussion around the importance of early intervention, um, um and you know, helping um, throughout like early years development, um, and kind of focusing on that kind of early intervention to um. Promote emotional health with children and young people, and starting at that their kind age. So, can I just ask what exactly you're doing in order to promote it at this early age?
13: Um, thanks, Nicola. Yeah, I mean, um, early support and early intervention is one of the central tenets of the framework, um, and the projects then were were designed um, around those um, tenants including early intervention. So, I suppose there there are a range of projects there which which touch on the importance um, of our interventions, for example, the REACH project, the RISE, the Tax the Nurse, um, primary school counselling, of course, as well, and, and um, the ongoing um, nurture support. Maybe um, if somebody from either Health or EA would like to just elaborate on, on one of those, just to give Nicola a bit of, a bit of an example, perhaps.
17: Okay, hey Nicola. And um, yes, the board and the PHA are working closely around very clearly infant mental health as a particular challenge. And even further than that, we're looking at perinatal mental health. So within the party, we are in the process of um, appointing um, teams and trust to support um, mothers of uh, babies, so that we get in that very very early stage. That is critical because as we see, as children move in and move into school, there are a number of issues. And we want to get in as early as possible to make sure that we are really um, supporting. Again, Sure Start plays a very active part for those particularly in social deprivation and parents and at, at that earlier our, our health visiting and, and midwifery colleagues are working closely with parents to ensure around that support around attachment and um, support. So yeah, parent mental health, we're hoping very right soon we'll have um, the teams up and running and trust and we are working then closely around that mental health pathway and model. If I could just also just just add to that, uh, Nicola, just recognizing the
14: employee of perinatal and infant mental health that the the Health Minister did commit to 4.7 million this year in terms of the the rollout of perinatal services, but also in terms of the mental health strategy itself, it takes a a full lifespan approach and and recognises the importance of early intervention. It is actually in fact one of the key themes of the strategy and something that has emerged out through the public consultation around the the importance of engaging and infant mental health and and obviously the benefits that that actually has over the full lifespan so it will feature quite heavily Uh, i'm anticipating in terms of the final mental health strategy that, that, that will be coming forward on that
10: Okay, thanks for that, um, and I'm glad you've all said that because I think it's um, infant mental health, um, in particular, is something that can often be overlooked, and it's such an important um, aspect that we really. I'm glad that we've got the opportunity to opportunity to promote it and to focus on it this morning. Um, I'm going to move on to another topic, which I don't think has been discussed yet. Um, the education committee yesterday received an informal briefing from parenting ni um which basically highlighted a range of issues that parents have um faced particularly over um, COVID and over the the different lockdowns. Um, So they raised their concerns about their own children's mental health and wellbeing, um, child aggression towards parents um, and discipline, um, and challenges for parents with um, children with special educational needs, which I'll I'll get to in a moment. Um, But there was also um, a a huge increase in the calls that this organisation were received from parents, and 88% of the parents had actually um, called because they were struggling with their own mental health. So what kind of um, help are you providing for parents at the moment uh, um, in regards to their emotional um, well-being? Nicola,
7: hi. <laughs> Maybe in start i Oh, sorry. Sorry. No, go ahead, Sianna. I I was just going to start just by saying with um, during the pandemic, um, some of the the well-being and and, and protection services that work with young people, we we actually through the pandemic were able to have a greater connection with our parents uh, when the young people weren't in school um, and our education welfare service, our behaviour support services, um, our children looked after services had that um, sometimes daily, um, but always weekly connection with any of the, the parents of young people who were open to the services and the feedback that we did get from parents um, was that they, they really valued that, that that was a support to them. Um, in supporting the young person, but also in, in, in um, supporting their own well-being at, at that time as well. Now, we continue with those relationships as as young people have restarted on, on-site education, um, and, and those relationships have been built and, and are maintained, um, but that was certainly um, a, a, a positive, if you like, uh, from, from the pandemic, was the connections that were made from the support services directly to parents, um for, for any young people, uh, whenever, whenever access to the school site was, was restricted. Uh, okay, thanks question, for that. Uh, sorry, on what Shauna had said, um, there are elements of our programmes that we have that Ricky's already mentioned. The REACH programme and the Being Well, Doing Well programme in particular come to mind. They have specific parental elements that will provide additional support because we are conscious that there are those needs out there. And certainly that was demonstrated by the survey at strand College Undercheck as a result of the pandemic, so we are aware of that and we are bringing that forward.
10: Yeah, there definitely is need um need for it. Um as I say, we received that uh, informal briefing from pertinent and I yesterday and the stats were um, quite shocking actually, you know. Um so I'm pleased with that
7: as well. Finally mm-hmm. I just want to touch on Sorry, just to mention what one resource in particular, because you've spoken there about early years and on parents as well. So we do have a resource that, that is um, issued every two weeks. Um, which is called the High Five Newsletter and it's for, for parents and for schools um, for young people of, of early years in primary school. Um, with, um, it has kind of information and knowledge within it but also tips and activities to support the parents in supporting the young people uh, as well and, and the, the focus of that uh, High Five Newsletter is on the five, five steps to wellbeing of the PHA as well to ensure that connects them there. Right. Is
10: that how five newsletters as well communicated?
7: It um, is often seems to be one of the issues The people that I know that it's there, you know what I mean? I know it it, it, is, um, it can be difficult, but it is sent um, through to every school every two weeks. It's also promoted on our um, social media through Facebook and Twitter, um, which we know a lot of parents will access there. And it's also sent through directly to, to parents that we have open to services and we have their contact details. So we, and we try to promote it then on any forums that we can as well.
10: Yeah, no, that's good because that's often maybe the most the difficult part is getting disseminated. Um, right, finally, I just want to talk about then. is also Carers Week this week, um, and one of the topics we discussed with Parent and I was um, the, the struggles that ch- the that parents with children with special educational needs were facing. Um, basically the fact that they have had no respite for the last eighteen months, um very little anyway, um, since the first kind of um, lockdown and, and since um it has been very, very stressful for them um and they feel they feel the way the world is on them and there's um just a lot of stress. So can again, can you tell me what you're doing to um kinda help those parents um to keep to be in control.
13: Um, Nicola, I suppose that this is something that that we've covered um, specifically with with the committee in, in previous sessions when we were talking about support for vulnerable vulnerable children and young people, um, uh, including children with um, statements of SANE, Um And of course, there were a lot of services um, that were not available or were reduced during the course uh, of of the pandemic. And one of the things that we did was again to work closely with our health colleagues to put in place essentially a contingency framework of services whereby um, the most vulnerable um, families would uh, be identified and would be known um, across um, the health services uh, and where additional support was needed, some kind of support would um, continue to be put in place for them. So I suppose that framework um, is still in place. Um, I would expect, but I won't talk on behalf of health, but I would expect that as the COVID situation improves, that the services that had been restricted would actually be reinstated. Um, but perhaps, uh, Geraldine, you might be able to add some more detail to that?
17: Yeah, Thank you, Ricky. Um, Nicola, yeah, it has been definitely COVID has been a challenging time for all, but especially our parents and children. Um, the footfall of RESPECT units has really posed a significant problem and the numbers it could be accommodated. But as we now do that restart, that rebuild phase, um, we're working very closely with parents and trying to get those units up and running as much to full capacity as possible, but also looking at different ways. So, very, Children with Disabilities have done very innovative mm-hmm. ways of support um, across each of the five trusts um, to try and ensure because it has been particularly challenging and able to support. Scooters, obviously been open and has been a fabulous um, and um, support for families and also for children. We've done scope and we've looked at all evidence um, locally, nationally, internationally and also within our own practitioners in the oversight group we have engaged with what are we seeing now coming through the doors, what are our education seeing, the children, what are some of the needs and again linking with our adult colleagues what are the, the pressures so that we are responsive because I think it was mentioned earlier are we listening and what, what has COVID led us to believe or what, what's there and it's all the same things that you talked about, social health and wellbeing, a particular challenge and issue. And we will reflect that in this framework and anything else that we'll be taking forward, because we have to. Things are very different now. Um, but we definitely are moving that rebuild. Obviously, COVID's still there, and we have to take the necessary precautions to keep people safe. But as the testing has been developed in schools and the rollout of vaccination, we're in a much better place than we previously have been.
10: Listen, I appreciate that and I I know we have to start off somewhere but it often feels like there's a lot of listening and talking but it's actual actions we need to see and real help and support for for parents is what we what they require and what they need to see um just before i go i want to ask one final question and that is what support you have for parents who are waiting on statements for the child we know there's a lengthy witness and it was like at the moment they're trying to get down below 26 weeks but there's that kind of limbo even for um children who haven't reached um, an age for diagnosis um, and then who are on a waiting list actually for um, a suspected diagnosis, whatever. What kind of support are you, or is there for parents?
13: Um, Nicola, I suppose we're, we're straining to um, sand territory here, but um, there has been a concerted effort over the course of the last um, 18 months on the part of the EA to clear backlogs of children who are waiting for statutory assessment and indeed those backlogs which were previously over a thousand um, have indeed been cleared. Um, so um, that is a positive. Um, now that work obviously needs to continue and actually I will be back in front of this committee in a couple of weeks time on uh, our new SEND framework uh, and the proposals that are being brought forward to improve services for children was saying and perhaps could talk a little bit more about it at that stage if that's okay
10: yeah sure ricky sorry i, I, I do not know what you mean It was straight into um saying It was more so about parents and um their kind of stress and emotional well in regards to that but uh, that's fair enough we'll talk about that in a few weeks thank you all and thank you chair
1: thanks nicola if i can just supplement some of those good questions uh nicola you're you're right the stray right into saying, so let me do that, Ricky. How how is counselling provided to a a non-verbal pupil for example?
13: I'll need to invite our EA colleagues to to answer that if
15: I Uh, Certainly For the counselling that is provided in special schools, Um, the uh, therapists um, may be trained in other things like music or art therapy, Um, so it is not necessarily a talking um, approach. Um, They may use other forms uh, and ways to do that, which are also perfectly legitimate, um, particularly with um, non-verbal young people so yes and we are liable for that within the within the contract
1: okay that's that's helpful and as ricky says we can follow some of those other things up as say, as I can, in relation to the uh, parenting support that nicola um rightly raised the so parent and i made some key recommendations further to um research and survey and they conducted recently um, one key recommendation was support for teenagers and the parents of teenagers, and made a reference to the Odyssey Parenting Your Teen programme, improved communication of available services, and uh, interestingly, uh, uh, an exploration of how um, changes in work patterns um, that have allowed um, positive family time um, during some uh, aspects of the lockdown could be protected going forward. I noticed that you have, and Ricky, there's an implementation plan for the emotional health and wellbeing framework. I'm glad to note that it includes theme five, staff wellbeing. Would it be prudent to introduce an additional theme on parental wellbeing? I think we can we can look at that chair. Obviously,
13: additional themes and interventions will require additional money. Um, but uh, you know, th- if there are specific issues being brought forward to us, we will take those on
1: board, um, and you know, I, I can th- discuss I, yeah. that on the program board. I think from from hearing from parenting NI yesterday, I, I think I think it it could be worthwhile considering a, an additional theme of parenting parental well being, and you might find that it it will reference. Existing programs, but just give them recognition and place within the emotional health and well-being framework it, the, the presentation impressed on me yesterday that for you know connected to youth uh, emotional health and well-being will be the emotional health and well-being of their parent and guardian um, so I, I, I think it's something um well worth looking at okay um, I'll bring in Justin Mcnulty mLA please thanks.
11: Thanks, Chair. Thanks, folks, for your presentation thus far. To what extent can I ask you? Are you concerned about political instability? Given that we've had a three-year hiatus where the DEP and Sinn could couldn't get on, and uh, how much, to what extent, are you playing catch-up because of that uh, setback uh, legislatively from with no assembly in place? And to what extent are you concerned about the ability to look after children and young people? as a consequence of any political fallout which may be imminent because the jungle drums are starting to beat from both sides. Uh, How concerned are you?
13: I think, Justin, as officials, obviously we want to work uh, in a politically stable environment. Um, Our plans and the framework uh, predated the the pandemic um, and indeed work probably did start during the period where there was no assembly and executive in place. But what we've got in the framework does not require legislative change. Um, But what it does require is an ongoing commitment from ministers and also that resources are made available on an annual basis. And if we identify that there are gaps uh, and there are new themes or uh, additional interventions required, I, of course, would want to be in a position where I can put forward those bids that are required and know that they're going to be met. So yes, um, political stability uh, is a factor. Um, however, at, at our level, we just continue to work with our delivery partners to make sure that the projects that we've got agreed actually work uh, and continue to deliver for our children and young people. I let others worry um, at the political level about the level of stability there.
11: Okay. Uh, good answer, really. Um <laughs>
13: Tell me, I, I had seven events a few
11: weeks back where um, I had a hosted events where I had the Children's Commissioner, Caluso, the Mental Health Champion, Siobhan O'Neill, I had the Children's Law Centre, uh, Rachel Hogan, I had the National Autistic Society, uh, Sharon McDade, I had the Dyslexia Awareness, uh, and I, Jodie Snowden, and over 100, 110 parents and carers attended that event. Now, I'll just give you a few, a few of the themes that came back. It's been a long and exhausting fight not to mention the emotional roller coaster we are experiencing. Education system lacks compassion and respect. Overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly prevalent experience for many parents is one of too little, too late. Adversarial system biased against parents and families and carers. We need the systems not to work in silos, but to collaborate. Now, I know that's not specifically connected or related to our discussion this morning, but it is, at the same time, it is, there is uh, implications now what i'm getting from you guys is i'm getting compassion i'm getting passion i'm getting genuine care for for what your your roles and your responsibilities but that's just, that's not reflected in the feedback i got from that same event and it is it does relate specifically to mental health in terms of the children and the parents and the young people and the carers and i, I see this huge uh, list of initiatives being undertaken being well, doing well, reach program, reverse trend program, drama program, mental health action talk, CAMS—all of this work that's going on in the background—and yet—and yet parents still feel that way. Can you just give me your your response, to that? How how do you gauge that that assessment, guys? What what do you think? Is it a, is it a communication piece that's missing?
13: Is it what what's actually happening here, guys? I think Justin, from my perspective, it, it goes it goes way beyond. Um, my remit, but it it is important feedback that you know we do need to be able to respond to. So as you know, I've been in front of this committee on many occasions on many sensitive issues, including san seclusion and restraint, health and wellbeing and bullying. And you know from my perspective, it's about trying to make changes in those areas. Uh, and that is the same approach that all of us within the department are taking on all the policy areas that we have. So it's incremental change, it's trying to move forward and it's trying to improve the system all the time. So, I mean, absolutely very keen to hear that sort of feedback and, you know, thank you for arranging that sort of event because that is the sort of um, information that we need to be able to respond to. And indeed, a lot of the issues that you probably heard at that event, we already know and we've already got plans in place to try and improve them. So, so this, is, this is a massive system change that's needed um, but you know, hopefully I can give you some assurance that, that we are trying to bring forward improvements where we can and where they are needed.
14: But I could also just pick up on that, just in the, the, some of the comments there um, and the feedback that you actually received most certainly resonates in terms of some of the feedback that we would have heard in terms of the development of the, stra- the draft mental health strategy. And I suppose it's, it's all to be welcome to have that feedback and obviously involve those that are, I suppose, in terms of experiencing the services, they actually get their feedback and how, how those can actually be improved. Our big element of a, the mental health strategy has been the co-design of that strategy itself, and, and I'm optimistic uh, in terms of the in terms of the mental health strategy that mo- a lot of that feedback will be reflected in tangible actions to address those those areas. and and also in terms of actually having a plan ahead over the next 10 years about how we can actually transform our mental health services uh, that will improve the lives of all of us here uh, within
11: Northern Ireland. Excellent, thank you. Uh, I'm going to give you an Albert Einstein quote. Life is like riding a bike. To keep your balance, you must keep moving. I'm going to go back onto the sport piece, the physical activity piece. Um, I don't see enough of that happening in our schools for young people. And um, it's a huge, huge um, spoke in the wheel in terms of their development, in terms of keeping them mentally strong, in terms of their mental emotional and mental health and well-being. It's enormous. So I'm not going to labour on that, but I think more emphasis needs to be put on the physical aspect of education, because it's it's, the benefits are just uh, non-ending. Another piece uh, I wanted to discuss was: Is there? I'm just concerned a little bit that. Potentially, we are talking ourselves into a hole, okay? I think emotional well-being is crucial. Mental strength, can we talk about mental strength as opposed to mental health, it's how you label it, maybe. Um, I think Franklin D. Roosevelt, another quote, said, calm seas never made a good sailor. We, are we teaching our children and young people that life is this smooth, easy uh, pathway that there's never going to be trouble, there's never going to be adversity, there's never going to be challenges or problems or obstacles that we'll overcome? Because... We need to teach our children, and it has been discussed, it has been mentioned at length at during this meeting, about resilience. It's about giving children and teaching them that resilience is part of the development, It's an important tool to have to help them to overcome the rough seas. You don't grow your muscles without stress. You have to, you have to be able to develop uh, that sort of strength. And so that character that building piece is, has to be so intrinsic to all of this. Is that something that resonates with you, or is that something that makes sense, guys?
13: But I think it absolutely, it absolutely does, um, Justin. I think it's, it's uh, the, one of the underlying principles, if you like, of, of the framework itself, you know, and some of the evidence that we got from um, our engagement with stakeholders and through the NCB research was that this is about trying to encourage children to talk, to talk about their emotions, to know and understand their emotions Um, and then to know when they need to reach out and to make sure that that um, support is there. So increasing those levels of resilience, I think, is probably a core objective of all the individual projects. Seana, sorry, were you going to come in?
7: No, I'm going to just say something that's very similar to yourself, um, Ricky. So apologies for having put it in on you, but it's just I think it's around ensuring that our young people, you know, we we strengthen their toolkits from from the very moment that they enter this world, and we strengthen the toolkits of their parents, um, in order for them to be able to uh, respond to the adversity that comes through life and be able to reach out and get the supports that they need when they need them, um, in a way to to prevent some of the tragedies that we have seen in the last number of years with with um, the mental health difficulties of our population so it's absolutely not around us educating our young people to think that life will be easy and they won't come up against problems but it's about supporting them and educating them to have the confidence to deal with the problem and the confidence to reach out and get help when they need it.
11: Excellent, I love, I love that philosophy strength their toolkit and I heard someone you mentioned earlier on an ethos and culture of well-being which I think is hugely important the um, last piece is on the looked after children, Ricky, and you mentioned at our last meeting I believe that there were 178 additional children placed in care between March 2020 and March 2021. Do you have the figures to uh, contrast and compare that with from previous the previous year, Ricky? I think we we spoke about that before, I'm not sure if we received that data yet. How much of a spike has there been because of the, the added pressures uh, brought on by the pandemic and families confined to their own homes?
13: Um, Just now I don't I don't have the figures with me um, but in terms of children looked after um, we can certainly take that away and try to try to get that data. Um, the data should be held probably within the Department of Health um, so we would probably need to to engage with them in terms of the time frame but uh, please let us take that away and come back to you
11: Okay, and finally, sorry, to what extent are the Department of Health and the Department for Education collaborating positively and taking joint ownership around this issue and these challenges so that these, these matters are not in silos um, and we're you know, collaborating positively together to, for the greater good for children, young people and parents?
13: Um, well, again, certainly on, on behalf of the Department of Education, I can say there's been an excellent level of collaboration. Um, right throughout the development of this framework. and In fact, the, the amount of collaboration that I have um, with the Department of Health across all my areas, uh, there's probably more collaboration with health goes on on my side than there is with other colleagues in the Department of Education um, at times. Um, colleagues in health may want to come in uh, on the back of that uh, if, with their views. Uh,
14: abso- absolutely, Ricky. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I think one of the one of the key outworkings from the from the whole pandemic, is a collaboration between the Department of Health and and also in terms of colleagues within the Department of Education. As Ricky's mentioned, it's not only just within this framework that we're actively collaborating on, but there's a various other areas, even within my remit, uh, remit that I'm engaging with colleagues around the still implementation of still waiting recommendations, and and also more broadly uh, around the development of of the, the vulnerable and young people's plan. And, and I'm sure there's a raft of other pieces of work that are ongoing that are that, that really just echo that collaboration between ourselves and the Department of Education and other colleagues across other departments then too, as well, because going back on Williams earlier point, uh, around making sure that all of this is joined up and there are no gaps in between, uh, that that's where the benefits will actually be realised through this more collaborative approach.
16: Justin, I actually have the looked-after children figures in front of me. So currently, as of 31st of March twenty one, there were 3,530 young people in care looked after. That compares to 3,383 last year, 3,281. And from March 2007, these are the figures I have. That's an increase from back then, it was 2,356.
11: Okay, I can't, I can't uh, analyze those, I need to write them down. No, uh, and I
16: suppose as a social worker, I mean, we do threshold within the board. Children do need to come into care to be protected. We do look to um, keep those children as close to home, be it through kinship or other forms. So yes, going up is an issue and I do know um, from discussions within the board that it is out of culture compared to what has happened in the Republic of Ireland. And um, I think Wales, so it is something we need to reflect on. But the trusts have looked at that, um, and and that are 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 the, the figures. So that will save you a, a piece of work, Ricky.
11: Okay, Justin. Um, well, I think that's something that needs honing in on. Um, okay. We're out of with down south and across well, these that, islands, just
16: in terms of the pandemic this year. But we have gone up by one hundred and fifty based on last year, and I think they didn't. That can be for a whole myriad of reasons. It can be to do with thresholds. It can be to do with legislation. It can be to do in terms of eyes on. I, I only have the years figures. I don't have it broken down, I suppose, maybe for a different day. I can certainly try and get it in terms of by month or by trust. So,
11: okay. Well, this area is definitely worth further exploration. I think we and, might take on that. Yeah, the and,
16: and there is discussions at, at the board. reflecting on that with our t- colleagues from the trust. I can assure you that. If it is helpful,
14: Justin, then, uh,
11: in, in collaboration or with Ricky, then we'll, we'll take that away and, and perhaps uh, try and gather the, the, the figures and write the, a more substantive response on that, if that's helpful. Please do, please do. I think it's something that us as a committee should be uh, very much uh, updated on. Uh,
1: so, listen, thank you very much for your evidence, folks. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Justin. Ricky, just just before we finish, um, almost I think it's important that I... I I speak on behalf of the many young people that we've engaged with, um, almost all of whom have said that they felt that their mental health had been challenged by untimely and unclear communication on alternative examination arrangements, and worth feeding that back in to the department. Um, the last time, one of the last times you were with us in relation to the emotional health and wellbeing framework, I was interested and I remain interested to check how much of the elephant in the room youth led um, mental health campaign recommendations are included in the emotional health and wellbeing framework? Um, and if, if you don't mind, I'll maybe just go through some of the key recommendations here and you can give me some feedback. One of the recommendations was a youth led mental health campaign to challenge stigma. Is that in the framework?
13: Um, I mean, i will save you time Chair and say that those recommendations we still need um, to look at how we can build those into future um, delivery plans for the framework and I have indeed met um, with the Northern Ireland Youth Forum and some members, um, some youth members who have presented to us on that since I was last in front of the committee on, on wellbeing so um, okay. you know, so look, we, we still need to work on that um,
1: if I am being honest. Okay, well, again, slightly concerning. I'm trying to be constructive, but the Belfast Youth Forum Elephant of the Room campaign had really specific constructive suggestions, which I think is what people are going to want to see. We've chatted a lot about cooperation and collaboration and waiting lists and frameworks, but that that youth-led inquiry on youth mental health recommended a youth-led mental health campaign a mental health dictionary, youth mental health website to centralise information, provide a 24-7 online chat support facility, more explicit inclusion and reference of mental health on the statutory curriculum, training for teachers and youth workers, which I think I do see in the framework, to be fair, primary school counselling, which we've talked about the pilot for, peer support, smooth referral, and escalation from school to CAMS and adequate funding for CAMS. So, I'll tell you what, Ricky, I'll give you a relief here and ask our Department of Health officials how smooth is the referral and escalation process from school to CAMS? And is CAMS adequately funded? And if it's not adequately funded, how far over capacity is it?
14: If I could pick up, um, before uh, bringing in Paul, uh, on the latter point there, Chair, in relation to the the, the funding of CAMHS, I think we've recognised in the the Mental Health Strategy uh, that the the CAMHS could be funded more. Uh, So we've we've given commitment in the draft, Mental Health Strategy, that will increase the CAMHS funding. From circa eight percent of the overall mental health budget at this moment in time, up to ten um, percent. What, yeah, what's
1: that in real money, then?
14: Well, in, in, in real terms, this this year we're looking at approximately twenty-five million uh, in in CAMS funding, and and that increase funding has increased in CAMS over the over the last five years. I think the, the most recent uh, statistic around that is it's nearly doubled in the last ten years. So, and we are looking to obviously grow that pot uh, of funding within with incomes, And in the meantime, recognising that it will take us a bit of time to actually get from that 8% to 10%, as uh, we are trying to supplement the, the funding within CAMS. I mentioned earlier in the opening remarks that we have provided three quarters of a million last year in terms of alleviating some of the pressures. We have secured an additional half a million in June monitoring, just been completed there. They the address current pressures and I would also be a champion and looking to see if we can try and secure some additional monies, recognising the fact that we may become uh, get more under pressure as the year goes on and, and as we as, as I see the referrals uh, may increase then too as well. So we are we are always looking I know, to to throw there's, that there's
1: in. I know sometimes officials uh, uh, always <laughs> I suppose you should rephrase that. It it you're trying to find solutions. You're trying to be positive, but it's important that we keep this real as well. How, under how much pressure is CAMS? How far over capacity in terms of that resource that is available is CAMS?
14: I'll, I'll invite, I'll invite Paul in at this stage, sure, if it's helpful, just to give a, a sense in terms of the current the current pressures and perhaps what feedback EA is actually hearing in, on the ground in terms of from from the trusts. Uh-huh.
16: Thanks, Chair. There's a number of issues there, and and I alluded to them earlier. Um, CAMS has a a finite resource, like many services, and it deals with a range of risks and presenting needs, some of which go from children with moderate to severe mental health through to highly complex enduring mental health, emotional difficulties, and probably risk of, of life. So it covers a broad span. We have, in the last year, had to look at the resource, manage it, move it and be flexible to, to meet, present a need that has in terms of acuity and presentation um, been much higher. Um, so it is it is a service under pressure. We are looking to, as I say, engage in different formats, blended approach that has worked in some instances I've already alluded to. it. The emotional wellbeing in teams, and I suppose this is the important bit, there are lots of supports, well, Okay, from, from, from my professional view, and, and there are a number of community supports that are available. And sometimes children present in school with um, presentations that professionals may think that that warrants a CAMS referral. And, and often, um, I don't have the figures in front of me how much percentage referrals come from schools, that young person is sent to the GP, the GP then refers them into CAMS, they are then triaged assessed, Um, depending on time and it doesn't meet the threshold and then they go out. So for me it's very much about this emotional wellbeing in teams is trying to promote whole school culture, trying to destigmatise, trying to look at emotional wellbeing as part of the culture, the fabric of schools so young people can appropriately talk about their thoughts, their feelings, seek support or, and that may be at more tertiary level, universal level, something much more community based or actually for those young people that do, do have presenting ongoing mental illnesses and early identifiable that maybe mightn't necessarily be picked up until they go into other areas or later in life, um, that that can be actually appropriately signposted, not fast tracked through emotional wellbeing teams in schools, but actually appropriately dealt with and helping our education colleagues. And we talked about capacity building, actually helping our, our educational colleagues to understand what it is in terms of what they're saying. Children spend so much time in school and, and within schools, they have an inordinate amount of understanding about how, how their children are responding on any given day or over a time frame. And we need, and this is where the importance of breaking down that silos and, and working collaboratively with health within some schools, working within this, we'll have a better understanding and a better uh, approach to be able to deal with that. Along with the other elements of the emotional wellbeing um, framework in education, and there is also an emotional well-being framework in services for for health that is coming on board, looking at autism, ADHD, um, and 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 how we knit that together. Um, from a board perspective, I will be overseeing both of those, and I want to bring continuity. There's there's okay. quite a lot there. And, and okay. So. Okay. Look, other as other
1: members have said, um, the professionals teach in in education and in health responding um, to promoting resilience, right to acute mental health issues are are doing some of the most important work that anyone can do in our community. Um, we're extremely grateful for it. Um, Ricky, some of those suggestions made by Belfast Youth Forum, it, it is slightly concerning that two, three sessions in on emotional health and wellbeing framework, that still not getting much substantive feedback from you in relation to um, even whether you think they're good ideas or not um, and and more need to meet with them again. Um, I I think some of them are good ideas. Um, Campaigning, dictionaries, websites, statutory curriculum. That's what what came from the young people themselves. The Minister for Health um, facilitated a meeting, I think, of elephant in the room with the executive subcommittee on the mental health strategy on my request. I, I hope we're not paying lip service to these young people. I hope we're giving substantive consideration to these proposals, and, and maybe the next time we meet, you'll be able to go into that in a little bit more detail.
13: Sure, sorry. No, I, I, they are good proposals. Um, sorry, I, I didn't give that clarity. I do think they are excellent proposals and that's why we have met the youth forum and we've talked about that. So it's really about how we make it happen. Okay. So that's okay.
1: with me. Okay. Um, guys, like I said, some of the most important work we can do in the community. So thank you for everything that you are doing. And we look forward to continuing to engage with you on these issues and do all we can to advocate for proper resourcing of the work that you're engaged in. Thank you. Thank you.
7: Thank you. Thank
1: you. Okay, can I stand be broadcasting, remove our witnesses and add members back into the spotlight? Can I ask the clerk to summarise any actions? I realise we're on extremely tight time schedule at this stage now, folks, given the importance of some of those issues that uh, members wanted to raise. Uh, feel free to Summarise concisely, Clark, and we'll, we'll, I'll try and keep us moving along.
0: No pressure, Chair. Okay, so um, I think the committee wants to welcome the cooperation um, that has been demonstrated this morning from our, our witnesses from two departments and encourage that um, across departments and in the camps and well-being teams. Um, also, the comprehensive planning of the framework and um, so some of the aspects of that that are particularly impressive have been covered. Um, the committee um, uh, had had some difficulty around communicating um, perspectives on waiting lists um so you know particular need Referenced in West Belfast and inner East Belfast, um, you know there were perspectives about that, um, where, you know, a waiting list of four hundred people or rounded about that doesn't seem acceptable in terms of the impacts that that is having on the lives of those young people and the risks to those young people. Um, so there's some explaining around that, um, then um, the. Uh, Emphasis that's being put on ensuring physical education um, as part of this evidence-based strategy, and um, that was not apparent um, in the presentation by witnesses, and that's a big concern of the committee's. Um, and DE undertook to come back to the committee on that. Um, I think it might be interesting to have a little bit more information on how the resource is being managed. Um, eating disorders, disorder, um, disordered, disordered uh, nutrition. Uh, I think it might be good to have some more information about that. Um, members uh, probed about confidentiality um, in the text and nurse service. I think it um, would be good to have some clarity on confidentiality across the board. That's something that young people represented strongly um, to the, the committee that they they wanted. Um, um, the committee was proposing as well that the additional theme of parental well-being be factored into this framework um, it'll probably reference existing programs but bring those together. Um, the committee welcomed that um, you know, negative feedback that is out there on cultural characteristics of public service are being recognized and being addressed and there's a move towards making public service more compassionate. Um, the committee wants a piece of work um, analysing the figures and reasons um, for disjuncture with comparative trends of the um, children um, in in care uh, and children who are being looked after um, and then we want to see a response about the elephant in the room inquiry and how that's going to be um, made happen. Um, the issue of how far over capacity cams is was quite well uh, uh, explored. Um, and we'll try to get just some more baseline information about that. Um, in terms of capacity, um, I think we're very fortunate. Even after that long plenary session last night, Hansard has covered um, both of our sessions today, so we will be able to mine down um, this uh, the evidence from all of these stakeholders this morning. Thank you, Chair. Well,
1: somebody, someone send those poor people to bed, S.A.P.
7: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I feel for them. Rob, Robbie Butler's fine. He can, he can run on fumes with somebody really. So clear so. hands uh, Just one point right there, please. Uh, go, ahead. go ahead, Pat. So, uh, just an, uh, yeah,
4: that was fairly comprehensive uh, summary from Aveen there. Uh, uh, just the one issue, maybe I would like some greater clarity on is the sort of the line of command in terms of accountability. Because um, Ricky, when, when, when I asked him about who was responsible, he sort of suggested it was the EA. But if this is a strategy and a cross-cutting strategy, uh, it's, it's maybe a bit unfair just to point the finger at the EA. And it, it would be good if we had some clarity about that clear lane of command. Who's, who's Who's going to be accountable? Who's the person who puts their hand up and says... You know, this is my responsibility around waiting lists. I I it's my job to get them down or to manage them or whatever, you know.
15: let will see
0: clarity on that then, Deputy Chair. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Okay, members, any other uh suggestions for actions or content they agree those as good. Agreed? Okay, thank you. I'll try to move us as promptly as I can then through our remaining agenda items, uh, members. Agenda item seven is correspondence. Can I refer members to page 94? We have 18 items of correspondence and a summary note at page 96. Clark, do you want to speak to the correspondence? Sure.
0: Um, Members, Item 7-4 on page 119 is a response from the Department about Special Educational Needs Numeracy Support and School Transition. If you're content, we can um, note this and forward the response to the correspondent who raised that. Agreed. 7.5 7.5 on page 123 is a response from the department um about the impact of COVID-19 on children and young people and providing some more information on the primary school counselling pilot which um, we've discussed this morning. Um, Do members want to take any action on that for now or are you content after that briefing?
4: I would be content to note that just at the minute. Uh, thanks.
0: Thank you, Pat. Um, item seven six is a response from Nikki regarding the impact of COVID nineteen um, on children and young people. Nikki is um, a, doing some work on that a comprehensive review, and they plan to publish at the end of August. Members, are you content to schedule a briefing from Nikki once it is published that report?
1: Great. Great.
0: Thank you. Um, item 7-7 seven, seven, um, is correspondence from the Committee for Communities regarding physical literacy and PE in schools and asking whether the committee has conducted any work um, on that issue um, and re- requesting that it be shared. So members will note that um, the uh, research that this committee had commissioned, it was in today's pack again. It was published last week and um, that deals a lot with physical um, activity in schools. Um, the committee has also taken evidence from the department, groups such as Healthy Kids um, and the governing bodies, um, about their programme. So if you're content, shall we uh, respond, indicating that the committee shares these concerns about physical education and referencing the work that it has carried out so far?
1: Yes. And could, we, yes. could I also propose that we write to the Department of Education to seek the most up-to-date data with regards to um, pupil access to the recommended PERs per week across all age groups. Agreed, sir. Members content with that, yeah.
0: Yes.
11: I think think we have to be proactive in this matter and seek seek assurance from the department that they are going to engage and implement uh, strategy that ensures every child has access to a requisite number of minutes per day of
1: physical activity? Yeah. Um, I, like I said, I know motions are non-binding, but the Assembly did pass a motion that included – I think it was an SDLP motion actually, uh, possibly a DUP – anyway, had an amendment proposing that the Education Minister consult on making the recommended PE per week mandatory. Um, It might be worth asking if the, although we wait until the new one comes in to ask. Maybe it'll be the new one by the time the email reaches them. Um, You could maybe ask about a follow-up to that um, assembly motion as well then, Clark. Members Uh, can tell. Yeah. Okay. Okay, thank you.
0: Thank you. Um, Okay, so then um, item 7.7 on page 200 is correspondence from Nipsa raising concerns regarding events that have come to the fore in relation to the General Teaching Council Um, for Northern Ireland. The committee is planning to meet informally with union stakeholders on the 6th of July. Um, But members, I think um, you might wish to forward this one to the minister for a comment.
1: Agreed, yeah. Um thank you. Um, very very briefly, it, it's very, very hard to see how we're not in a circumstance where GTC needs to cease and, and be urgently replaced. Uh, I don't say that lightly. Um in the meantime, obviously there are staff and board member welfare uh to be to be considered. So um yeah, let's look forward that to the Education Minister for urgent response to us. Agreed. Uh,
8: I've hung in 15 minutes longer than I, I'd said I had to go at five to one if I hung in another 15 minutes or if I'm, I'm going
1: right. to uh, and I missed Robbie. I think we're almost finished here. Thank you. Cheers.
8: It, is it okay for Robbie to hang on
0: for a sec? You can yeah. Link,
1: yeah. If yeah. You can- go ahead. We're almost done, Robbie. Thanks. Okay. Um.
0: Okay. Sorry. Right. So we'll do that. Um, then there's uh, there are several items in a row: seven, twelve, seven, thirteen, seven, fourteen, and seven, fifteen, from heads of science raising concerns about changes to arrangements for g- assessing GCSE science. Um, and I propose that we forward this to the minister and CCEA for a reply.
1: Agreed. Great.
0: Yeah, item 716, members, is an invitation from the Duke of Edinburgh Award to the Duke of Edinburgh Centenary event on the 10th of June 2021, which is Thursday. As the chair has a clashing engagement, the invitation is open to other members to attend. Um, Please, if you want to do so, use the registration details in this letter to sign up for the event and let me know that you've done that so that I can liaise with organisers um, to get you a formal invitation. Okay. Seven seventeen um, on page two one three is a response about delivery delivery of speech and language and occupational therapy services. Um, Correspondents are asking that um, the committee refer their questions to the joint um, uh, health education oversight group in PHA. Um, are members intend to action
1: that. Agreed.
0: 718 is correspondence from an individual on private um, music tuition. The committee copied into the individual's email to the Minister, Peter Weir. Are members content to seek a reply on music tuition from the department? Agreed. And other than that, then, um, if you're content, we'll dispose of the correspondence
1: as per the summary note. Okay, agreed. Agenda Item 8, members, then, is Ford Work Programme. Uh, refer you to the Draft Ford Work pro- Programme, page 233. Um you, in terms of youth engagement, um okay, we're working on a date to um engage with young people involved in Refugee Week. We'll come back to you about that. Um we'll maybe seek an additional briefing on other outdoor activity centres and we kind of uh, seek your agreement to formally invite PPTC and AQE to the committee regards post primary transfer arrangements for next year. Agreed? Agreed. Agreed.
11: Okay, any other business? Yeah, sure. I, I suggest that we have, uh, as soon as possible, can we get somebody in from uh, to discuss eating disorders at schools? Um, yeah. I just had an approach from an advocacy group recently that it's not being dealt with appropriately, and there isn't enough uh, uh, education on the on the issue. I think we need to, we need to uh, update on ourselves very quickly. And also, I think we should write to St. Pat's uh, College, Dun Gallon, to applaud the principal in terms of the news piece we saw this week, in terms of the ethos and the culture created there around newcomers, and how they're all uh, charged and supported to be the best they can be, I think our education committee should write to the principal and applaud her for the work that Screw is doing. And very uh, quickly, if people agree to do that, uh, uh, I'm not sure to talk about any more time.
1: No problem. Agreed, members? Agreed. Agreed. Thank you. Okay. Next meeting um, is for, next formal meeting is next Wednesday at night, earlier time nine a m and then I think we' have an informal meeting on Tuesday as well. Clark, is that right?
0: We do with the uh, youth assembly um the te- the team setting up the youth assembly so that's an interesting one.
1: Thank Good you effort. everybody. that okay members, thanks very much for your uh, engagement and participation today. Thank you, Thank you. Sure.
10: thanks bye. Thanks, bye.
12: Assembly, Senate Chamber.